no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. everybody, welcome to No More Room in Hell, number 51. This is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How's it going? Greetings and salutations, survivors. I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How the hell are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, it was fucking uh, daylight savings time, so it's still bright outside, which is an yep. uh, odd feeling for when we're recording, but getting used to that. <laughs> Again... <laughs> Also joining us, it's Derek. What's up, Derek? Every time Venom says salutations, all I think about is Charlotte's Web. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Charlotte's God has been. I've read that now. Elementary school, I think. Salutations. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and then for this episode, we. We have a guest. If for anyone that listens to Fresh Cuts as well, you probably heard her on the latest episode where we also announced that she was going to be here, so it should be no surprise. But uh, I'll introduce her now. Our guest is Nikki Williams from the Slumber Party Massacre podcast. What's up, Nikki? Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you all for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yes, and to all the listeners, we are sacrificing um, St. Patty's Night. Um, no, I mean, a couple of us are so old, we probably don't even give a shit about it anymore. But, uh, yeah, we're recording a podcast on a festive, I guess, holiday to some, right? It, yeah, hey, it's, if it's a holiday, I don't get paid on, I don't give a fuck. Well, I'm on the West Coast, so there's plenty of drinking time when we're done here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think March Madness is still going on, so I can throw that on, but I can do that in the background while we're recording. doesn't really uh, affect sports. it. <laughs> yes, I love them sports. Nikki, I know you have been watching March Madness, and you had a epic disappointing game result today, didn't you? Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, so, Iowa State, that's where I went to college. They played Pittsburgh today. Iowa State was a six seed. Pittsburgh was an eleven seed, and they beat Iowa State by like twenty points. <laughs> oh, my boy, college gonna... beat your college. <laughs> uh, oh, huh? Oh. My school beat your school. I went. To did Pitt. you go to? I did. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. I mean, not nice for right. Iowa State today, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. Lots of time. We're bringing the madness to the show, like <laughs> legitimately there. <laughs> Especially with Nikki's picks. <laughs> Nikki, how how is your bracket so far overall though? Is it okay? Oh, I'm I think I'm ranked one out of like it says I, I did the CBS app 
where you could fill out three brackets. And my third one was going strong. I was ranked like 150,000. But I, with all the games that happened today, now it's like 1.9 million. <laughs> it like really went down. <laughs> yeah, there's some you know years where like, I, yeah, I just don't know how some people pick some of the upsets sometimes. I'm just like, how the hell? Unless they unless they fill out like multiple brackets, like you said, and they just pick the opposites for some. Because first, I just don't know how they even figured to pick some of these. I did guess the Princeton Arizona upset, which was the two seed, fifteen seed. Princeton took out a two seed. It was it was cool. <laughs> a fifteen always beats a two. Historically, <laughs> a fifteen always beats a two. Almost every year. I'd say about ninety five percent of the tournaments in my lifetime, a fifteen has been has beaten a two in the first round. So it's always something to look for. That's what I thought too. And some of the um, people I was talking to, they're like, that rarely happens. I'm like, what? There's at least one that happens every year. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's always bound to be one or two of those type of upsets on the first day. Like, it just. Yeah. And it's always like some weird school that, like, you wouldn't think that like, they would be the ones to do it, but they always do. They always manage. And, I, and for anyone that's like, how do how does this relate to horror? Well, I guess it would be the horror of losing all your damn money betting on sports, because <laughs> I'm sure that's... Oh, 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 oh. Who the hell loses all their money on NCAA brackets, though? Or we were, tro- we were trolling this episode the whole time we were actually reviewing Night of the Dribbler. <laughs> is that a real movie? It is about a killer... The killer's dressed like a fucking basketball... Is it, is yeah. it an 80s film? Like, why have I, I not I, heard of it? I think it's like a late 80s. Does that make sense? I am going to watch this. <laughs> it was it was during the we've run out of ideas era of the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 has, what has a what has a killer war before? I don't know, a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say basketball player, but he's actually dressed as a basketball. Yeah, just look at the fucking poster. Oh, God. Yeah, I will look that up in a sec. Um, All right. Well, now that we've uh, introduced ourselves, I guess we'll move along to our What We Watched uh, segment, uh, and we'll start with Venom. Venom, catch us up on something you've been watching. All right. Well, I didn't bring this up last or two weeks ago on uh, episode 50, even though I had watched it by then, but I decided to kind of hold on to it. And I'm going to go ahead and bring it here. I think it makes sense that I'm bringing this to the table as it is a found footage movie. And um, there are elements of Lovecraftian cosmic horror in it. Um, And obviously those are two things that I absolutely adore. So it makes sense that I am bringing the Outwaters to the table. Uh, Hmm. What can I say about the Outwaters? The Outwaters is getting a like coming off of its festival run. It was getting a lot of positive buzz. Like people were really raving about it, blah, blah, blah. I got to say, folks, I was not a big fan of this movie. And that really doesn't track because, as I already said, I love uh, cosmic horror and I love found footage. But God damn, if this movie is just confusing and honestly kind of dull at times, um, this is an hour and 50 minute movie, 50, almost two hours. A found footage movie should never fucking be two hours. There's just no reason for it. 
Um, but here we are with a with an almost two hour found footage movie where you get 35. I will repeat myself. 35 minutes of character development. No movie needs that much goddamn character development. But there it is. And nothing even remotely um, horror-esque occurs for probably, I don't know, 40 to 45 minutes, maybe longer. I will admit that the third act of this movie is just absolutely balls of the walls crazy. Um, you actually start to get the gore, uh, you know, um, we, we start to see the aftermath of what had happened earlier in the film, but we couldn't see cause it was dark and there was loud noises in the sky and everything else. But, uh, the basic story of this movie is four travelers encounter menacing phenomena while camping in a remote stretch of the Mojave desert. And the movie plays out that way. Four friends go into the desert on their very first night there. They hear noises, um, out in the distance, and hilarity ensues from there. But this movie's still getting a lot of praise, even since its normal, its regular release. A lot of people are really liking it, but I, all I can say is, is that it didn't work for me. I didn't give a rat's ass about anybody in this movie. After 35 minutes of character development, I didn't give a shit about anyone in this movie. That's saying a lot, I think. At least for me, it's saying a lot. And then, like I said, then you got like a half hour of just darkness, confusion, odd lights, odd sounds, odd events that are just all over the place. And then finally, in the last like 20 minutes of the movie, it, the movie starts to ground itself back in reality. And we start to see, like I said, some gore, some, you know, we get to see one actual kill. But um uh, it's a basically too little too late. I mean, this is an hour and a half into the movie where it actually starts to get good. And by that point, I was mentally checked out. So I would say I still recommend this movie to fans of both found footage and cosmic horror. But I feel like the found footage elements of this movie are terrible. I mean, one of the one of the first things when making a found footage movie is why is the last person still holding a camera? There's got to be some kind of explanation. Is it for light? Is it their source of light? Um, whatever the case may be. But this movie definitely broke the cardinal rule of why the fuck is this guy holding the camera? It makes zero fucking sense. And, and then when it comes to the Lovecraftian elements, I, I feel like they use Lovecraft or cosmic horror in this movie as like a crutch. Because all the cosmic horror elements in this movie, I feel, are just lazy filmmaking. Like, I'm sorry, folks, but you just can't put a bunch of random giant worms in a scene and suddenly call it Lovecraftian. No, no, that's just laziness to me is what it is. So all in all, the Outwaters, I mean, it's currently sitting at a 4.4 on IMDb. So it seems like the masses are kind of more on my side about it. But I have seen a lot of positive reviews for it. So I would say if you're a fan of found footage, if you're a fan of cosmic horror, give it a shot. Maybe it'll resonate more than with you than it did with me. But ultimately, it's it's one of my least favorite movies of the year. I actually called it Skinnamarink with actual kills. <laughs> it, if, if that if that says anything. Well, I'm glad you kind of elaborated on it because uh, before, actually before we even recorded our last episode, I had thrown it on during the day and. I was about 30, 45 minutes in, and I was like, uh, is this even a horror movie? <laughs> and I turned it off because I was like, well, I've only been half paying attention. It's probably my fault. I don't want to write it off because I haven't been 100% watching it. So I planned to rewatch it. And then 
I kind of put it on the back burner because I remember we were possibly looking at it as a Fresh Cuts like nominee to do, and then you you didn't get into the details you did just now, but you did kind of mention that it was lackluster. So I never went back to it. I, I probably still will eventually, but it is a longer movie for being like a found footage movie. So it's like, I really got to make sure that I got time and there's nothing else higher on my priority list to watch, but I'll get around to it. But yeah, it's weird. Cause I remember before it kind of became available, it was getting kind of positive buzz. Like I remember people talking about it, like with anticipation, like, Oh, this is good. The people that saw it probably at festivals were praising it some. So yeah, it, I mean, judge, judging by what you said, yeah, it's not going to be that good. And if I don't end up liking it, it's going to be another one of those disappointments where a movie I was looking forward to turns out just to be kind of eh. There you go. Uh, I hey. can barely even say it's eh. Like, I, I, I actively disliked it, <laughs> sadly. Was there, any, was there any funny parts in it at all? Uh, I don't think so, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering because there I, I, you said something about hilarity and so I was wondering was there any, oh, any oh. funny parts that made you laugh or no oh, no I say that's that so for bad it's good or... <laughs> no. oh my god no no this is not a so bad it's good absolutely not oh. like I said some people are gonna like it some people like the you know the the ambiguity of a film where the camera is not focused on anything in particular or there's no lights and it's just dark and all you hear are, you know, the person holding the camera and then like wind and some mysterious noises in the background. It's like, to me, that's not compelling. You can do that for a little while, but the stretch that this movie does it, it's like three days of the movie. Literally the sun sets and rises like three times during this particular section. And it's just one guy with a camera making no sense whatsoever. So I, it just, like I said, it just didn't resonate with me. That's all. When you said the, the sun was like rising, like I'm remembering that scene. I don't know if you've seen any of the twilight films, but there's like a scene where that happens with the main character. <laughs> She's like sitting in this chair and the sun rises and then it goes down and then the sun rises. <laughs> it's not quite that bad. Okay. <laughs> uh, was it Kristen Stewart? Was this was happening to? Yes. Oh, God, yes. Oh, oh, oh I, I thought, thought you were asking about Outwaters. I wish Kristen Stewart was in Outwaters. <laughs> anyway, Outwaters, watch at your own risk. Yeah, like I said, I, I guarantee it's going to resonate with other people more than me. But, yeah, for whatever it's worth, I hated it. I'll wait till it's on Tubi. <laughs> All right, Derek, what about you? Well, I watched this movie called Invitation Only from 2009. It actually just got a brand new release here for Unearth Films. It has a pretty gnarly Blu-ray cover. <laughs> Again, that's – if you see the Blu-ray of this movie – Wow, that cover <laughs> shows you what you're in for. So it starts out with our main character. I kind of forgot his name because it was like a week ago since I watched this. So bear with me, folks. The main character works for like this very rich guy. And one day he actually walks in on his boss fucking his mistress. And he doesn't know what's going to happen next. He's like, is he going to punch? No, what the boss does is, oh, I'm going to. Have, let you have a good time and actually go invites him to like this special rich person's party where he's having a ball. He's even like fucking making out with his boss's mistress. 
at one point. And then all of a sudden, uh, there's a killer on the loose. Wearing like this weird, like white mask. It kind of looks like one of those masks, like the, the ones that look like just have like a blank human face. And it's all pure white. And he just goes around murdering these people, uh, to various degrees, including even like when there's like, a few of them only left alive. He starts to fucking torture some of them. Wow. And uh, if you see the Blu-ray cover of this, that shows you like one scene of that happening. And uh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's a Chinese film. I should mention that it's from uh, Kevin Coy, who's a director that I know because he directed last year's incantation that was on Netflix. Uh, Yeah. Very, yeah. Very different movie. And, uh, yeah, I could see why Unearth would pick this up because, you know, they're they're pretty much known for like their hardcore shit, but then they find like, you know, th- this one's not as brutal as like say American Guinea Pig or any of those like extreme. It's it has like extreme parts to it, but not as extreme as those movies, if that makes any sense. And uh, yeah, I see why they would pick this up, and yeah, I liked it. It was enjoyable. You know, you get not, not, not being as hardcore as American guinea pig stuff. Yeah, I, that makes sense because that'd be a whole nother level. <laughs> oh yeah, they have like open chest stuff in those movies. Oh, but uh, I've yeah. only seen I've only seen the original guinea pig movies. Are the American ones like more over the top? Uh, well, they kind of go on their, their own path, like a. Uh, the first one's pretty much like a homage to like the first few like snuff guinea pig movies. But then, you know, like a uh, bloodshock is actually my favorite one where it's all shot on black and white. It's kind of art housey. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's even like kind of like a mad scientist tale in the way, in the sense of what's going on within it. And the, the main actor and it's fucking, he's like, doesn't talk through the whole movie and like his body language and shit that he, he possesses is actually, I actually awarded him like one of the best performances of that year for that fucking movie. And, you know, it, and it's crazy like that, but then, you know, like then they made, uh, the song of Solomon, which is like a possession movie. So it goes way off the fucking path of like what a American original, like Guinea pig movie is. And then, you know, then they had like sacrifice, which is kind of like, uh, it's kind of in the same vein as like the first one, but then it's like, only like this one guy mutilating himself throughout the movie. So it's like, it goes like, Oh, should I be watching this? <laughs> Especially when he's using nails and certain body parts. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yes. Yeah, so. Is it a newer movie, Derek? Well, it's originally from 2009. It just never got a release here in the States until now. Okay. So it's kind of older, but it's kind of newer to us, so if that makes sense. Gotcha. What's the name of it again? Invitation Only. Okay. I will look for it. You, you will own it one day. <laughs> All right. I'll throw it over to our guest. Nikki, do you have anything that you watch that you like to share? I actually have been rewatching. The Walking Dead series. I I love it, and I actually have not seen 
the last couple seasons because around uh, season, I think I think they have eleven seasons. Um, around season nine, I it just kind of fell off because of the storyline. But I am determined to finish it, so I'm on season two right now. So I'm in the season right now where Shane is all going crazy <laughs> and she becomes the Punisher. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> he does that. Did they, was that movie made at the same time that season was? Cause I'm not sure because I think he got the Punisher like a like a year or two after he left The Walking Dead. Yeah. Oh, John Bernthal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seemed like his role as Shane like kind of opened doors for stuff after that. I think so. Yeah, he like he even worked for the fucking Scorsese for the Wolf of Wall Street movie. I was like, wow. So, Nikki, you're one of, like, the uh, holdouts that stuck with Walking Dead? Because I actually watched it to the end, too, almost kind of out of habit. Because I, I, I know a lot of people, they can just stop, like, shows in the middle seasons when they stop being interested. But I'm kind of one of those people where, like, once I invest a certain amount, even if it kind of goes into a train wreck mode, I'm just there to kind of ride it out. And I, I did with The Walking Dead. So, yeah, I, I watched all of it. Did you like how it ended? Like that, I haven't seen it yet, so I, I have to catch up on the last two seasons because I also have the graphic novels, and the graphic novels are much different than the show, mm-hmm. but yep. but they're mm-hmm. but they're they're also much better. I love the graphic novels. Are you, did um, you already get yeah. to the end of the graphic novel so that you know how it basically ends? Or are you not at the end yet? No, they stopped at. Um, I think number seventeen, and I have I'm I have fifteen. I need sixteen and seventeen. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I have the I have the hard covers of the Walking Dead, where it's like I think twelve issues in each one. And yeah. obviously, I mean, it's not a surprise to say the graphic novels, like you said, overall better, different, and it ended better. I would say, as far as the show. They generally ended on the same idea, like the way everything kind of tied in. But the I think the main difference is Kirkman kind of knew he was going to end the graphic novel at a certain point and planned for it where you could tell AMC probably just hit the hit like the roadblock with the show where like, oh, we just got to end it because the gravy trains like coming to an end. And it it felt kind of rushed, but they but generally it, it has a similar ending. Um, but OK. I think it'll definitely feel like you get to that last season and like there's like a few episodes left and you're like, wait a minute, they're gonna be done with it like already. It doesn't it doesn't seem like it was ready to end storyline wise, but they generally yeah, get to the same conclusion or similar at least. Maybe. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> was it the better ending than Game of Thrones? Boo. Uh, I love I mean, that ending. <laughs> I <laughs> I'm I'm one of the dissenters. I don't care. I, I think the final season of Game of Thrones was fucking great. I don't give a shit. Everybody's mad at it because it didn't go in the direction they wanted it to, or their characters didn't do what they want them to do. That's not how fucking television works, people. You you watch the art that's presented to you, and yeah, you can have opinions. I'm not saying if you hated the last season of of Game of Thrones, you're an idiot. I would never say that, but. For whatever it's worth, I fucking loved it. 
I, I would say the, yeah, <laughs> I would say the ending of Walking Dead was definitely less controversial. The problem with The Walking Dead it was like a whole bunch of middle seasons that were controversial that made people stop watching it to begin with. Oh, but yeah. yeah, but I would say yeah, Game of Thrones way more uh, splitting of the audience. I, th- I think. Well, I mean, because Walk- people were still watching it by the time the finale aired, as opposed true, to The Walking true. Dead, where they lost about three quarters of the, their audience. Plus, we had to wait like two years for that last season too, so it was like, "When's it coming?" And out? the seasons leading up to it were fucking great. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a fucking Game of Thrones defender. I fucking, I love that show from beginning to end. I love every goddamn hey, episode. Hey, hey. To be fair, I was okay with it. I was just asking Mike because I know he might have a different opinion. <laughs> I just wanted to see what he thought about it. Mm-hmm. There was, yeah, because I love like some parts of it. I like I love the Hound's like arc, like how it ends and shit. Like he's one of my favorite characters. Like, oh, so good. Yeah, I loved the mountain until he became a fucking zombie. <laughs> but that's a story for another podcast, I think. <laughs> I'm, I was pissed that they got rid of my boy Richard Brake as the Ice King. That would have been that awesome. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I guess if that wraps up The Walking Dead talk, yeah, we'll go to me. So I just kind of randomly throw on a movie. You know, by now I, I work from home, so sometimes I'll be just throwing on random stuff, no rhyme or reason, just kind of browsing. And I came across this movie that it's actually listed as being – October of last year so I was like okay something that I obviously missed um, I, I don't know when it got put on the platform it was on Prime um, and it's called Hunted and this this is basically your kind of uh, uh, most dangerous game setup where in, in this movie uh, a group of uh, uh, robbers try to rob a house like a mansion out in the middle of nowhere and uh, they get caught and uh, instead of, like, the people calling the police, they uh, get uh, involuntarily entered into a game of we're going to hunt you. And it kind of plays out how those, yeah, yeah, how that genre plays out. Basically, if you can survive, Don't you, you can escape. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was okay. I mean, it's definitely lower budget, but it has a lot of the tropes that you would expect in this type of movie. As I was watching, I was kind of like thinking to myself, like I actually like this subgenre. Like most of the movies in in uh, this 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 wing of uh, most dangerous game, or like even stuff like Surviving the Game, which is a lot more corny, <laughs> but it's still fun. The one with uh, Ice T. Gary Busey's amazing in that movie. Yeah, Gary Busey's in it. We gotta go uh, back hands. What's his name? <laughs> what was? What's the dude's name that was... Rutger uh, Hauer, too, yeah. Rutger Hauer's awesome. in it. Uh, the guy from Rudy's in it. And Ice-T. And I, yeah, Ice-T's the main guy. He's the guy um, being hunted. <laughs> yeah, Ice-T, the, the homeless <laughs> bum that... Because, somehow he's an expert at avoiding being hunted. He was trained off the Steven Seagal's character from uh, <laughs> fucking Under Siege. <laughs> yeah, uh, this one, it's like a little bit under 90 minutes, moves pretty quick. I, You know, there's going to be a lot of tropes you'd expect in this. But overall, it was a fun time. Nothing Did that they have I, a turkey baster? No, no, none of that. None of that nonsense. But, yeah, this is nothing I regret missing. Like, it wasn't going to be a top 10 or anything. But for something just to kind of throw on, it's fun. And uh, what, do you, what do you guys think of this type of genre, though? Are you guys fans of, like, Most Dangerous Game type stuff? 
I can okay. get down with them. Yeah, there's there's some actually interest like the low budget ones kind of like they get kind of interesting. Like uh, there's one that I like that was released called Blood Widow, which is about like these people go to like this house and they actually find a house next door and they go into it and it's the home of like this deranged serial killer who's a female, which is interesting. She's all she actually even wears like a weird white doll face mask too in that movie too, which is and the kills are fun, you know. It's, she, her weapons are fucking awesome. This is fucking, and you know, I just love watching like because it's like kind of like a reverse home invasion. They invaded her house, so she's gonna go and be like, "Why are you r- fucking bothering me, bitch? I'm gonna chop your head off." Yeah, one aspect of these types of movies that always kind of makes me laugh is once the hunt is on. As soon as like someone that's is either the person or someone from the group that manages to kill one of the hunters. It's like the hunters, are they're just so insulted that, like, some poor idiot was able to murder, like, one of their family members or team members or whatever the hell. And it's funny because it's like, well, you are trying to kill them. Like, are you not shocked that they would fight back and try to murder you, too, when, like, in the situation? But I guess they just, they're so wealthy and connected that they expect it's going to be easy every time. Like, I'm like, is this the first time someone's managed to actually turn the tables on any of you guys because damn you must be picking some horrible candidates to uh hunt but yeah it was an okay movie i would say throw it on like, if you're a fan of the subgenre generally what was the name of it again uh hunted that's okay. on prime there was one that had hillary swank in it was she was she in hunted oh that was the hunt, the hunt? right that was the hunt. the 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 hunt yes that one that kind of reminds me of um the movie that you just talked about hunted and how the people in that they were rich and they were, they were hunting people that, um, that they thought were less than. And then there's like this, there was a scene that I could not forget where Emma they Robert's both, dying. <laughs> Emma Roberts, yeah, that's yeah. The scene. you definitely don't forget that scene, but there was like mm-hmm. one where they like, where they like have a moment together where they both had read the book, um, I think it was a George Orwell book. It was either, I think it was Animal Farm. 1984 or Animal Farm? Yeah, Animal Farm. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think it was Animal Farm because I think Animal Farm is similar to what they were going through in the film, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah, The Hunt would definitely qualify for for this subgenre. Yeah, I, I caught that in the theater when it came out and all the controversy leading up to that. And I was like, that's really there's nothing controversial about this movie at all oh, so that just shows how like an ad campaign <laughs> can help a movie but sometimes in this day and age you can do it in as well don't watch oh, trailers oh <laughs> special news announcement just popped in mike you ready for it what the blumhouse just announced the hunt to star in ice tea <laughs> <laughs> they already made and, that and movie. the bath and the basketball and, dribbler <laughs> and then, wow. yeah, well, and guess what? Ice T has his fake afro that he wore in Leprechaun in the Hood. Uh yeah, um, yeah, it's gonna be like an MCU of like the hunt with all the rich families hunting different people. I guess. Oh God, stop it! Don't even put that in the ether, man. Just keep that to yourself. <laughs> all right, then. Then I'll move right on and go back to Venom. What do you got up next? 
right. Uh, this next one is one that I saw uh, in, the- in theaters out here in L.A. Um, I don't think it really played in theaters much anywhere else the rest of the country, maybe New York, Chicago, but... Um, it's just a little, this little slasher that, you know, really had no advertising. Like, I never saw even an attempt of a trailer airing anywhere. Um, never heard anything about it. All I saw was the poster. There's, you know, there's a girl on the poster. And then there's, like, the main part of the poster is, like, this cool-looking mask. So I'm like, all right, let me give it a shot. And that movie was Hunt Her, Kill Her. I don't want to say it too fast because then it sounds like I'm saying Hunt or Kill Her. It's hunt, hunt her, comma, kill her. So, yeah, her and both of them. Um, this this movie is basically, it's a very simple movie. I actually really, really enjoyed this movie. It's a 90-minute movie where 80 minutes of it is a chase sequence. And I fucking loved it. It was basically edge of your seat for the whole time. Um, basically, this woman... She's a single mom. She gets a job. It's her first day as like an overnight custodian at a warehouse, like at a woodworking warehouse. And she's the only one there. And of course, on her very first night, five men break into the warehouse with intentions of taking this woman out. Um, It's very clear right away that this is a personal thing. This isn't like five guys that just happen to like want to rob the warehouse. Um, they, they're even talking to this woman by name. So, you know, the, the, these five guys are going after her. So the whole movie, like I said, the majority of the movie is just a big chase sequence. Um, I had a really fun time with the movie. It, it has a very satisfying ending. I, it's not ultra gory. I mean, there's a couple of brutal kills in there, but, you know, it, it's not really gory. You know, it's not the best slasher you'll ever see. Like, like this movie doesn't do anything exceptional, but it does everything competently. And I'm going to give it its credit for that. Like, I didn't roll my eyes once at this movie. It, nothing, no, nothing in the movie took me out of it. Um, just um, a lot of tropes were avoided, like, you know, the weapon droppers that I always harp about and things like that. So... I had a really good time with this movie. If you get a chance to see it, I'm sure it's not in theaters anymore. This would have been like three weeks ago, I think I saw it. But if you get a chance to watch it and you're a fan of slashers, I say give it a shot. It's Like I said, don't expect the greatest thing you've ever seen. Just expect a competently done movie, good performances, decent kills, nothing too over the top. There's no supernatural element, blah, blah, blah. The kills aren't incredibly crazy. Um, but I had a really good time with it. And like I said, I was very satisfied with the ending. Um, so, yeah, if you get a chance to see it, check it out. Not likely something that will be in my top ten or anything at the end of the year, despite how I'm praising it. But I just had a really, really good time with it. And once it hits VOD, if it hasn't already, I'm probably going to watch it again. I had a really good time with it. Not sure if anyone else saw it since, like I said, it only played for like a week out here in L.A. No, thanks, Finn, for rubbing it in. <laughs> yeah, but I got to deal with earthquakes and shit to get all these cool indie movies. So. Oh, come on. Your place is going to become Escape from L.A. soon. That's true. That is true. I'll, 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 my whole house will be taken out by a wave. Yeah. And you live with Steve Buscemi. Oh, stop it. <laughs> anyway, um, like I said, uh, this one gets a mild recommendation from me. Check it out if you like slashers. They're, like I said, it's just a simple little movie that works for me. Yeah, I remember you mentioning when that was opening there, and I went to look 
if I had any screenings, and unfortunately I did not, so I was not able to see it, but I'll probably check it out when it's on VOD. Mm-hmm. All right, Derek, what do you got up next? Oh, boy, Mike's going to love this next pick. Oh, yes, you are. Because I had a fucking marathon of DC animated movies. Oh, no. <laughs> and I watched Justice League Dark. Nice. And it's pretty awesome. Did you see this one, Venom? I did. Yeah, it's pretty much starts out where this group of like individuals in different parts of like you know DC universe, like Metropolis, Gotham, wherever Wonder Woman's at, you know, and uh, these people are trying to are seeing like they're like seeing other people, but as demons and monsters and shins, and they're like killing them. Like this is one part where this woman thinks they're baby is a demon and she's going to throw it off a giant cliff and she does and Batman has to save the baby <laughs> and so Batman and figured out that there's something supernatural going on so who does he ask for help uh, John Constantine yeah uh, which is pretty awesome that you see like like this Constantine and Batman you know they have different beliefs and stuff and Constantine talks and deals with fucking demons every day. And, you know, and then they bring this group of super, uh, supernatural beings together, including like the magician Zatanna, Jason Blood, who's a demon, and even fucking Swamp Thing. <laughs> yeah, Swamp Thing's in this movie. And it's pretty fucking odd. And they had to fight like demons and monsters. It's like a darker side of like, uh, DC that I really like. And the animation is nice and crisp. And the scene that always gets me is the scene in the beginning with like, uh, I think it's Superman's and it happens in Metropolis where this guy is about to shoot his wife and kids because they think this is a weird tentacle monster and not his wife and kids. And you gotta believe me, look at the neighbors. And then they go to like the garage and he has these bodies hanging up on meat hooks. It's <laughs> kind of gruesome. But, yeah, but I love it. It's pretty great. They got Matt Ryan back to play John Constantine, which was pretty great from like the TV show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah, I liked it too. I had a really good time with it. I'm not usually much on DC in general. I just didn't grow up with DC. I grew up with Marvel. Um, but this one and Gotham by Gaslight are two that really, really stuck out with me. Now, Gotham by Gaslight, if you haven't seen it, is basically Batman in a steampunk version of England circa 1880s, and he's hunting Jack the Ripper, which on paper sounds fucking amazing. I will admit, um, Justice League Dark was a little bit better, more entertaining. Um, I, th- I, I do like the artwork in Gotham by Gaslight a little bit more, but yeah, you know, that, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Especially like Batman Ninja. Like, did you see Batman Ninja, Derek? I oh thought, boy. <laughs> holy shit. The art That's in a, that is, oh. yeah, especially at the like five edibles. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I agree with Derek, uh, justice league dark. Uh, if you, if you have any interest in the DC animated universe, it, it's a must watch. Absolutely. Yeah. They have some like, like crossover horror. Like they even had like a sequel. that's actually the final film in like this universe storytelling mm-hmm. called justice league, dark apocalypse where they, have like John Constantine and a bunch of other people fighting fucking apocalypse the dark side. 
Fun. Hi, Mike. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually kind of like the alternate or dark DC stuff. Like, I, I think they do a good job with it. I don't watch it all just because of the volume that's out there. There's so much. But I, I was kind of interested in the, what's the Superman one called? The Red Sun or whatever, where he, like, landed in the USSR instead of America. Yeah. And use him. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to watch that, but then I, I was told don't watch it by the actual comic because the the movie kind of cuts out too much to kind of uh, hurry the story uh, along. That's how Which, I felt about the killing joke. I thought the animated killing joke was like a, a shadow of what the, the, the graphic mm-hmm. novel was. Yeah, plus they added like this whole like beginning of the story where the mafia guy and Batgirl, I'm like, wait a minute, this wasn't in the fucking comic. What the exactly. Fuck <laughs> And then Batman fucks her. Yeah, that was kind of weird seeing Batman have sex. <laughs> with, with a girl that he grew up with. Like, I saw you, you grow up. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy. Don't tell Jim. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Nikki, you got anything else? Yeah. You know, I actually ha- have been into like horror board games lately. And I just purchased this game called Final Girl. It's a solo board game and it's so much fun. There's like expansion packs and I mean obviously do you know to copyright they can't, you know, like use like Nightmare on Elm Street, but there's like one expansion pack that I bought. It's uh Doctor Frightmare and you can only defeat him when you're in the boiler room and you're asleep and he can't oh. attack you. He can't attack you when you're awake. Like, it's a lot of fun. Like, the way that it's set up, um, it's like there's a bunch of cards that you use for to take actions. And you have to do everything, like, in a certain structure or order. Like, there's an action phase, a planning phase, the killer phase, the upkeep phase, and then the... Um, or I think the upkeep phase is last, and then, like, the whole cycle just goes until, like, you're to the point where the killer has killed the fault, or you have killed the killer. And it's just a lot of fun. And there, there's, like, a season one, I've got Geppetto and then the Doctor Frightmare, and they have, like, one that's kind of like the Jason Voorhees setup, where it's, like, the location is camp happy trails and then they just came out with um season two not too long ago which that one has like the thing and um a lot of other cool um horror movies to to play and it was really cool is that the game's never the same because of the setup and you can like mix and match the expansions it's so cool okay first and foremost did you say single player board game yes I've never even heard of that. I hadn't either until this year. (laughs) That's awesome. I don't know how many times, like, I've been in the mood to play a board game, and nobody's like, nobody wants to play. And I'm like, well, I want, if this is one player, I'd play it myself. And here they have this game. It's a horror game. It's a final girl game. And it's meant for one player. I'm sure you could figure out how to play with multiple players, but it's intended for one person. Hey, whenever I play my Shining a board game, I just use two game pieces. So yes, I'm, I'm, I'm both players. <laughs> I'm just going to yes. be in my Alien board game, I'm just Ripley and the Xenomorph. There you go. <laughs> That's it. 
<laughs> I'm both Jack and Wendy in the Shining board game. I love it. <laughs> Mike? So on that board game, is, is it just like single player is an option, but you can still play with other people, or is it designed to be single player? It's designed to be single player. That's crazy. That's kind of, I'm trying to think if I can think of any other board game that's like designed to be one player like that. Was it expensive? Shoots and uh, ladders. The, the, well, you have to have the core box. Without the core box, you can't play with any of the expansions. The core box is 20 bucks, and then the rest of the expansions, they're all 20 bucks each. So, that's not terrible. I just thought well, of shoots and ladders and Connect 4, you can play by yourself. Yeah, but with Connect 4, you're running around the table like an idiot. <laughs> no, you just have all the pieces on one side. Unless you have like a lazy Susan that you could like spin the board. Let me, you know Chuck Norris. You know Chuck Norris could win a game, game of Connect Four in three moves. Nice. You know, this is reminding me of um, back in the day. My my uncle, he had all these cool action figures, and he would like pit them up against each other, right? And I'm like, well, how do you figure out who wins when they're fighting? He goes. I just put one in each of my hand, and then they duke it out, and whichever one falls out of my hand, they're the loser. <laughs> I, st- I still do that. That's awesome. <laughs> I had I had Venom's Violante fight the creature from the Black Lagoon. No shit. <laughs> I had my he Jason won. Neca figure fight my Jason Piggy Bank. <laughs> and I yeah, a, that was recent, folks. So shut I, up. I had my Jason Funko <laughs> fight my Freddy Piggy Piggy Bank. I like it. <laughs> yes, we're all fucking big kids here, folks. <laughs> like, you create, like, a tournament, like, have brackets, too, kind of like they for, you know, March Madness, only with, you, like, your figurines or your superheroes? Yes. Yes! <laughs> I have the, the, the Fat Thor Funko Parp that Lacey got me fight the ghost from uh, Crimson Peak uh, all the time. Okay, so who's Who's the one that come? Who's come out on top when you guys have done these tournaments? Victor Crowley. <laughs> oh, always Jason. Always Jason for me. Either him or Shin Godzilla. Ooh. Because he shoots everything out of every orifice. Now, did you give like? Did you give, <laughs> did you give any of them like special abilities or anything? Oh, of course. What's the point of playing if you're not going <laughs> to give them crazy moves? Like, I didn't have Jason spinning eight times and jumping off of my television. Oh, yeah, come on. At one point, I gave Jason uh, telekinetic abilities so that he could control <laughs> the Freddy Pop and make him kill himself. Oh, I have a better... I, have a, I, I remade the whole first movie of Saw with just my Funko Pops. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Jeff Copeland was Dr. Gordon. Oh, sexy Dr. Ian? <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Ah, so good. Can we just All talk right. about toys for two hours? Yeah, 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 I know. We should just <laughs> have an episode where we do that. <laughs> um, for my next one, this is actually a first-time watch, which might be surprising. It's kind of a oversight on a director everyone probably knows, but this was a first watch of Miss 45. Oh, Miss 45. Abel Ferreira. Yeah, Abel Ferreira. Even worse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This is a genre I don't usually flock to 
too much. Kind of, you know, it's it's like rape revenge. Um, but this is kind of what well, seventies, right? I think, or was it early eighties? Oh, early eighties. Early eighties. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this one, I thought it did a good job of like, you know, we didn't have to sit through like a twenty-minute graphic scene of uh, like, like sexual naked. Yeah, oh God. Yeah, it was still, of course, awkward and disturbing just for the fact of what was happening, but it was nothing like uh, irreversible or anything like that. Um, but I, I liked it. I, li- I liked the characters in this. Um, obviously, once the revenge aspect kicks in, uh, it, it, it goes there with uh, people getting murdered. It was paced pretty well. It wasn't overly long. And it's kind of like your stripped down version of a movie where there's not a whole lot of extra stuff wasting time. It just gets to where it's going and delivers. So, like, if if you're into, like, revenge movies like this, check out, like, one of the, I guess, it's kind of, like, notorious now. But did it grow, like, Derek, you probably know, did it kind of grow a cult following over the years? Because I've always kind of heard of the movie. Yeah, a lot of people haven't seen it, but I've always kind of heard it, the name, like, out there, Miss 45, and it's always kind of come up in recommendations because of other movies I liked, so I finally got around to it, and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a pretty fucking, like, Abel Ferrara is, like, if he, he had, like, a fucking run of movies from, like, Driller Killer to this one, the fucking, uh, what was New Jack, King of New York. Oh, fucking I love King of New York. I didn't even know that was him, but I love that movie. Bad Lieutenant. Oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah, you could tell, like, yeah, this is... Wow, I'm a bigger thing. Abel Ferrara fan than I realized. <laughs> yeah, he does some great movies, you know. And uh, this one's, like... It's like a female version of Death Wish, in a way, because it's kind of, like, the same thing, where she doesn't actually get... Re- well, she gets revenge on one rapist, but then she just goes around killing a bunch of random... T- so it's a kind of like a female version of Death Wish in a way with that. And, you know, the Zoe Lanu plays the main girl. Phenomenal, because she plays like a mute in the movie, too. And so a lot of, like, acting with her eyes and her body functions and her face features and stuff that makes the performance great. Because, damn, because she's also in another movie that I liked called Larry Cohen's Special Effects, where it's like... A kind of like a murder mystery. And man, her voice is fucking annoying as fuck in that movie, so I'm glad she doesn't talk in this one. <laughs> yeah, that was another gimmick of her being a mute in it that I had no idea about. Um, and you knew so. who played the first rapist? Table uh, Ferrara himself? Oh, no shit. Yeah? <laughs> Using his porn name, Jimmy Lane, because he used to be a porn director and actor. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> Seems like a natural genre to go into after porn, I guess. <laughs> Jesus. From porn to exploitation. A little gray area in between, right? Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Venom, have you seen Miss 45? Oh, multiple times. I fucking love this movie. Yeah, I, I've, I've even watched um, Android Virus do a... Uh, like a horror host segment with that movie, and he did a great job with it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great film. I've never owned it, but it's one of those things that if I see it airing or, or streaming somewhere, uh, I tend to watch it at least, you know, every couple of years or so. But yeah, oh, I fucking love Miss 45. Great movie. It needs a 4K. Oh, yes, it does. Especially then that I bought, ended. 
<laughs> yes. So fun. Cool. If, if, you, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out, too. Yeah, I hadn't Man. even heard of it. That's cool. It's definitely a, a You Go Girl movie. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I, th- I I think the tagline on the box or the box art that I saw was like, "It's no longer a man's world" or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably fit it into like a slumber party <laughs> massacre episode if the theme's right. You know, if it matches up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> All right, back to Venom for our final round. What do you got, Venom? All right. Well, this next movie is a film that technically came out overseas um, in October of last year, but I I guess we didn't really get it on any American streaming services until this year. It is the latest um, horror film from Neil Marshall. And I, let me tell you folks, I'm definitely having a love-hate relationship with Neil Marshall because early on I loved everything he did. Dog Soldiers, The Descent, Doomsday, uh, the couple of Game of Thrones episodes that he directed. Senator. Centaurian was pretty awesome, too. Yeah. I mean, he directed a Westworld episode. Like, like I, for like the first, I don't know, 20 years of his career, I loved everything he did. But man. And he did his, the Reckoning. Yeah, that's what I was just going to get to. Um, unfortunately, he's on a little bit of a streak of... Uh, less than good movies. Uh, he did the Hellboy 2018, uh, 2019 version with David Harbour, the one that nobody really liked. Uh, he did the reckoning in 2020 and now this is the layer. And unfortunately, at least in my personal opinion, the streak of bad movies is still going. Um, I'm just not sure what's going on with Neil Marshall. Uh, like I said, early on, he was awesome, but you know, this movie, you know, a, a fairly basic creature feature. Uh, the synopsis is as follows. When Royal Air Force pilot uh, Lieutenant Kate Sinclair is shot down over Afghanistan, she finds refuge in an abandoned underground bunker where deadly man-made biological weapons are awakened. And, yeah, basically, you know, as it as the, the movie Dead Valley. Pretty close, actually. I mean, you know, she finds a bunker, she goes in there, and they find out that someone has been um, experimenting with alien DNA and kind of mixing it with human DNA and creating these, like, super soldiers. But they ended up killing the program because the soldiers couldn't be controlled. They were just wild, animalistic beasts. So they basically... um, caged up all the remaining um, samples, the ones that were still alive, and then just sealed up the bunker. And, of course, unfortunately, um, Kate Sinclair finds this bunker along with some local Afghanistanis, and, you know, <laughs> hilarity ensues from there. Yeah, just because uh, I, I saw the opening of this movie, I'm like, really? They went there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm not happy with Neil Marshall's output over the last three, at least at least three films because I think I might have missed one in there. Um, oh no, he just did a lot of television. That's yeah, the thing. He did yeah, a lot the, of TV. Yeah, the the For, thing with the Reckoning I hated is every time the girl, the main girl's on screen, she looked like she was ready to go down a fucking runway when she should have looked like the girl at the end of Martyrs. <laughs> I'll go with that. Yeah, and this one, like I said, the layer for me was just disappointing. It's a disappointing creature feature. It doesn't really, 
it doesn't deliver the gore, doesn't deliver the action. Um, it doesn't deliver anything that I love from Neil Marshall. You know, I mean, The Descent is literally like a top 25 movie to me. I absolutely adore that film. But unfortunately, I have to report that The Lair still is going to continue his streak of, uh, you know, less than great movies. Um, but again, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. I mean, I'd rather watch this 50 times than ever watch The Outwaters again. But getting Mark, yeah. <laughs> or Skinner Marink, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, for whatever it's worth, um, you know, if there's nothing better to watch and you're into Neil Marshall and creature features, I guess it's it's worth a shot. But this one doesn't get any kind of recommend from me. Just kind of dull. Kind of basic bitch. <laughs> basic bitch. Damn. <laughs> Yeah, it was potential because of who it was, and then I haven't heard that great of things either, unfortunately. I was like, well, will Venom uh, turn the tables? And no, he did not. Turn the page. I'm still I'm still holding out hope for Neil Marshall. I, I still you know what, like You know what he really needs is an A24. Yes! Oh, my God, thank you. Vision. <laughs> oh, I couldn't imagine Neil Marshall and A24. During doing one of those, like, you know, low budget uh, version of Fury Road, <laughs> which is kind of like what Doomsday was. Right, right. And I love Doomsday, so fuck it. <laughs> With Bill Pullman and I, you reminded me. <laughs> oh, what, Bill Pullman? Yeah. Lone Star. Lone Star. Oh, God. All right. Who's next? Me. Yeah, no. Derek again. <laughs> so, I bought a lot of Vinegar Syndrome, which is a company that I actually really love. Like, like, they put a lot of... like They're even in, like, 4K territory now. It's fucking crazy. Because they started out putting out... You know what they started out putting out is just porn, like, 70s vintage porn. And, like, the shittiest horror movies they could find, like Hobgoblins, they put on Blu-ray. But they've been putting out some fucking cool... Plus, they've got, like all these partner labels now, which I'm fucking down with it. Cause they're releasing shit like Calvair later. And they actually just made, added a new partner label, which is umbrella, the Australian company. And I'm going to be talking about their first Blu-ray. They put out with umbrella, which is undead, which is, uh, mm. early two thousands. kind of like zombie mixed with like sci-fi mixed with John Woo action movie directed by it's the directorial debut of the Sprague brothers who's done a lot of movies that kind of interested me like the, the, their first two movies this one and they did Daybreakers which I loved because of the cast in that movie it's pretty you know that was a kind of a cool vampire movie mm-hmm. and they did things like the Winchester and then they did like the the last shitty saw movie before the Chris Rocks saw movie came out <laughs> Which was even shittier. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, they've done some interesting movies. And, you know, it was was cool, like, all the mixtures of things. Because it's been a while since I've seen this movie. And, you know, it's like, starts out like this group of people. And then the meteor hits Earth. And then there's zombies. And then they meet, like, this hillbilly Australian guy. Because it's a New Zealand movie. Who does, like, action sequences. Like, he's in a fucking John Woo movie. Like, he's like an Australian Chow Yun fat all of a sudden. And he's just, you know, doing, like, the slow motion gun thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I actually did it 
in my fingers, even though you guys can't see. <laughs> I imagined it. It looked awesome. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> it's a fun little like indie movie. I really like like even when it, where it goes when you reveal that the zombies were made by aliens. I'm like, okay, at least you did something different, movie. <laughs> you know, it was pretty fun. I actually the transfer was great. Like. Man, like even like some of the vinegar syndrome, like regular, like older Blu-rays, like mm-hmm. fucking, like they do some of the best transfer work, and you know, like I said, they started out just doing fucking porn, <laughs> you know. So I'm big ups to them, you know. They released like, like I, I picked up like that, and they uh, released a Freeway, which I still got to watch, which I was like blown away that they put that out on fucking 4K. I'm like, whoa, but. Anyways, yeah, Undead, it's a fun, like, B-movie that I really enjoyed when I first saw it, and it it has a great release now, so you should pick it up if you guys are fans of that type of stuff. It's pretty fun. I I own the DVD. I bought the DVD when I first, like, I, I bought it sight unseen. It was at a time when I would just buy anything that looked even remotely watchable. Yeah, And it is a good movie. Like, I enjoyed three quarters of it, but I am synonymously not an alien guy. Once you introduce aliens into a horror movie, I tend to mentally check out. Like, I just don't care about aliens. Um, I like sci-fi, but, you know, other than Ridley Scott's aliens, uh, I... They just don't do much for me. You know, the classic grays with the big eyes. Like, I can appreciate stuff like Fire in the Sky for its, you know, um, for that one awesome scene. But overall, it didn't really do much for me. And the first couple of times I watched it, I was upset when they introduced the alien aspect. And I ended up walking away from the film not happy. Um, Admittedly, I haven't watched it in over, it's got to be close to 15 years now since I've watched it the last time. So maybe it's due for a rewatch. But I just remember not liking once they brought in the alien part. Because, you know, I'm a zombie purist. And and I do like when zombie movies do something original. Like when I first saw it, I was like, all right, that's different. Um, I don't like it, but that's different, <laughs> you know, so I'll definitely get, give them credit for trying something new. But, uh, yeah, I remember enjoying three quarters of it and the ending just leaves me kind of flat because of the aliens. But uh, maybe, you know, maybe I'll check it out again soon. Yeah. Like I said, like, I just I dug it like on rewatch more because like, like I can see like all their favorite things now, like because they've pretty much threw everything that they fucking love watching as kids in this movie and you know it's their first movie so i'll give them cut a slack you know in that sense but you know it was a cool idea to do that it's different and i can see why people don't like it but you know it's like it's divisive you know mm-hmm. did you ever see it like no i have not mm-hmm. you'd probably dig it it sounds interesting to me it's different yeah I think I'm just too much of a zombie purist, you know. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it before either. Yeah, you, you yeah, but you, you would dig it, Nikki, because I introduced you to the little creepy kid from Burial Ground. He's in this. No, imagine. You're making oh. it better. <laughs> that fucking kid. I'm, uh, if that was the case, I'm watching it tonight. <laughs> uh, that damn kid! That damn twenty-year-old kid. <laughs> Mama. <laughs> uh, 
Why why does that kid make me cringe so much? God damn it. Mama. I get a mama. message from Derek and it's just a picture of him. I get it's happened before. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Because I, I definitely voiced my opinion on that kid when we reviewed it. I don't remember if we reviewed it here or on another show, but I know you Jarek know, and I reviewed it. Yeah, it was here. It was, okay, it was here. And yeah, up, that, that fucking thing little kid. Even, the fucked up thing is I couldn't even hear Venom's fucking review because I got kicked off the internet and then I got added back after you guys are done. Ah, yeah, I mean, I love the movie. I, Burial Ground's great, but that, that fucking kid, god damn it. <laughs> I want that kid to fight the kid from Young Gary. Oh, little Hitler. Yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. Kill little Hitler. Then I'll <laughs> cheer for the kid from Burial Ground. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Mike's has no back. fucking idea what we're talking about. Hell, most of the <laughs> listeners don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Who's little Hitler? <laughs> that was classic. Mama. Oh. Underwater kaiju. And the, and the best part is I, I trolled Venom the, like the next show and had my fucking thing on Skype the fucking picture of little Hitler. Yeah, his avatar was little Hitler. <laughs> the whole show and he was pissed. Oh god, that little piece of shit. <laughs> uh, let's move on to something people understand what we're talking about. <laughs> All right, the pressure is on, Nikki. So I went to Chicago a couple weeks ago just for a little vacay. And while we were there, um, we saw the movie Knock at the Cabin. And this book or this this movie is based on a on a book that was written by Paul Tremblay called The Cabin at the End of the World. Mm-hmm. And I know that Knock at the Cabin was hit or miss with people. So if the movie wasn't something that you liked. The book might be something you like better because the the book has a much different ending mm-hmm. than the movie does. And I actually really did like the movie. I liked how they wrapped everything up at the end. Yep. But I also really liked the book, too. Like, both are very good. Um but I was actually very surprised by the film. Mm-hmm. And I was happy that I got to see it. Yeah, that's one that we reviewed on Fresh Cuts. Um pretty sure at least Mike and I were both fairly positive on it. I was the highest on it. I loved it. I, I legitimately loved it. I just thought it was great. It gave me exactly what I needed without all of the extra, you know, Shyamalan glitter. It just mm-hmm. it didn't even feel like a Shyamalan movie as I'm watching it. And that's probably one of the reasons I loved it. But, yeah, I thought that movie was great. And I prefer the movie to the book. I'm not a big fan of the ambiguous ending of that book. Ambiguous endings have their place. I mean, hell, one of the movies we're going to talk about right now has the most ambiguous ending in horror history. But <laughs> it's... uh Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I don't know. The, what, I, I didn't read the whole book. I just read the final chapter online after the movie came out. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't a real big fan of that, of what they did in the book. It just, it was too, too wide open, which is fine. Sometimes interpretation yeah, is good, was, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to know 
more to the ambiguous ending I wasn't a fan of in the book. Like, I thought everything up until that was phenomenal. It's fast-paced, it's gripping, like, it reads really quickly. And I thought the movie did the same thing, but I liked the ending in the movie much better. I thought that it was very artistic, I thought it was beautiful, I thought the messaging was amazing. And I, I felt what... M. Night Shyamalan, I felt his direction in the film. I felt it come through the characters. I thought it was really beautiful. Yeah. I'm definitely right. glad they omitted that one character death. There's one character that dies in the book that does not die in the movie. And I'm so glad that Shyamalan changed that because I, I would have raged against the machine if they would have killed that character in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> And man, Dave Batista, huh? Yeah, dude, Batista's best performance, easily. That was fucking great. He's more than Drax, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. My final thing is well, since I brought up Last of Us last time, I won't really go through that. Although this season did just wrap up and I thought it was great. Um, they did a good job, I thought. Although I will say, I. It's one of the, I guess, rare times where I think it kind of almost wrapped up too quick because there was nine episodes, which is like an odd number. Um, Halfway through the ninth episode, I was like, is this really the last episode? Because I I felt like in that last section, Mm -hmm. if if you're kind of if you're someone who played the game, then it's only natural that as the show's going, you're kind of almost following the events in your head from what you remember about the game. And I, I feel like there was a certain point where. They kind of had to turn on the jets as far as, okay, we got to get to the end of this to wrap up the season because we're out of episodes. Um, the main complaint is like, oh, there wasn't enough confrontations with like clickers and stuff. But I, I understand for the show's purposes why they did that. Yep. But uh, yeah, it ended, it was still great. And I thought they did enough at the ending to kind of give you that same feeling um, at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for people that didn't play the game, I think the show gave you enough of an idea of what they were going for in the game. Both excellent. Yeah. I, I recommend and both. Honestly, more, more so the show. I mean, the show gave us that spectacular episode three that is not in the game, which potentially might be my favorite episode of television of the last few years. That that episode just wrecked me. Absolutely wrecked me. And yeah, I'm not going to say anything else about it in case you haven't seen it. But yeah, holy shit. One thing I am going to say that's going to be controversial, I hated the ending of the game, and I hate the ending of the show. And when I say the mm. ending, I mean I mean literally the last scene, the last conversation. I hated it. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. <laughs> as far as, like, what Joel does before the final scene, oh, I'm, all, I'm on board for that shit. Absolutely. I just mean literally the final couple of lines. I hated it in the game, and I hate it in the movie. I don't know. I just something about it. Just uh, like how, how oh, can you? The way we, you mean the way we get that abrupt ending? Not the not the abruptness of it. I mean that conversation, that final conversation. You know, the big. I, I can't say it obviously, but you know what right. I'm talking about. You yeah. played the game and the and watched. No, the I know show. what you're talking about for sure. Yeah, yeah. I hated it. I, I my wife my wife actually was with me when I beat uh, the first game, and we were both like, I hated that. 
why 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 would he do that like it doesn't make any sense to me it does it does make sense in the sense of uh a guy who's in love with this not in love but who loves this little girl like a daughter and blah 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 it makes sense maybe that's not what i'm saying i just felt like it was lackluster and you know i I, and what's funny too is i remember playing the first game and before i got to the ending people were already praising the end they were already talking about you know, heartbreaking and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm all excited thinking, oh, shit, something major is going to happen. And it's like, nah, it's just a conversation. <laughs> Granted, it's a private conversation. Yeah, there's elements of that conversation that are very eye-opening and, you know, like a kind of a holy shit moment. I just felt like it didn't deserve to be the end of the game slash show. I wanted something different. But, you know. Ultimately, I love 99.9% of it. So why am I going to bitch too much about the ending? You know? Because you can. There you go. Because I have a microphone in front of me, and I'm still got breath in my lungs. Get so. my lungs. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that was How a many nice. Episodes? Oh, go ahead. Oh, nine, nine episodes in the first season. Did it just wrap up recently? Mm-hmm. This, this Sunday. Sunday, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I've only seen the first episode. Ooh. So <laughs> Get ready for episode three, my friend. Well, what were your impressions <laughs> after what after the first? And I'm I'm assuming you're not overly familiar with the video game, if at all. No, not at all. <laughs> so was the first episode was the first episode enough to make you think, oh, this is something I think I'm interested in? Well, I, to be honest, I wasn't as into it as I thought I would be but everyone is saying start just keep going with it because they're saying that it it picks up momentum and it gets better yeah I would I I would say there's going to be a different experience so for anyone that didn't watch or didn't play the game and didn't know much about it going in if you're going in blind, then yeah, the first episode's probably gonna feel like a lot of table setting. Where like we we just have to figure out like what the predicament is, why they're in it, where we go from here. That's mainly a lot of what the first episode does. Obviously, for those that played the game, we know what's coming, so it's kind of a different feeling throughout that episode. But I would say watch the next two episodes, especially three. And okay. if you're still not on board after that, okay, I'm not gonna. Like, yeah. keep bugging you about it, but I would say by three episodes in, your mind's going to be firmly made up whether you want to hey, keep Nikki, going or not. did you watch episode three yet, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think giving more of a shot is, is, you know, it deserves more of a shot than just watching the first episode. By far. I I gotta say, though, like, I I can see Nikki's point about the first episode, because when you actually play the game, you spend more time with these characters. When you actually play the opening of the game, I mean, you're playing as uh, Joel's daughter um, for, like, what, the first 10, 15 minutes, Mike? Or uh, that's what it felt like anyway. And then Joel, you know, kind of comes home and, you know, the shit hits the fan. So... So when you actually get the end of that first scene, that very emotional ending, I felt like in the show, we just didn't spend a lot of time with them. So it's like, why do we care? Why am I going to shed any tears for this character I've known five minutes? But when you play the game, you spent like a half an hour with her before, you know, that inevitable scene. So I don't know. I, I just felt... 
the show is spectacular. I, I'm not trying to take anything away from it. But in certain, when you play through The Last of Us, you know, that's like a, what, 10, 12-hour experience. Uh, the show is only nine, and one, of the epi- one whole episode of the show didn't happen in the game. So it's like we're getting eight episodes that actually occurred in the game as opposed to the potentially 20 to 30 hours that you could spend playing it if you're a completionist, I mean. So it, it's just hard to get those emotional bonds that quickly, you know? Yeah, and as I'm... Oh, I'm sorry, Derek. No, I'm just curious how it's going to go from on on now. Because are they going to like do before like Last of Us Part Two? No, I think the rumor that I heard is that uh, seasons two and three are going to be the second game. So, like the first half of uh, Last of Us Part Two is season two, and then the second half it'll be oh, season damn. three. Oh damn. So I, I would imagine we're going to get a lot more, like, side stories and extra stuff, blah, blah, blah. I also hope it's more than nine episodes, too. Uh, now that the show is a certified hit, it should get 10 to 12. Oh, if people, if people who haven't played that game and they go into it not knowing what happens in the middle of it? Yeah. Wow. And, you know, like, looking back on that first episode, I can totally see how they are putting those elements like you're actually in the game, like you're playing the game. Like they set up scenes, you know, like that take that long. Like, you know, when you're, when you have, you know, you have a game and you're walking through certain rooms, like they totally kept that feel about it. And I guess that maybe that was why I didn't resonate with it as much. Cause I'm not as big of a, like a video gamer, but I could totally see that. Oh. Imagine if they made like, Oh, did you even see the fuck the fucking, SNL skit where he's it's Mario Kart. <laughs> that was so uh, good. Pedro Pascal is actually legit funny. I, I was surprised that he pulled off. I mean, he was funny in Massive Talent and you know other stuff that he's done as well. But um, SNL is a whole other animal, and I thought he did a great job. Oh uh, yeah, he's then. Do you watch? Do you ever watch the show Hot Ones? On uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Constantly. Yeah, he. They just released one with him, and it's like great. It's like a half hour long too. Nice. Like the first thing he says is like when he's in his wing. I wonder how much of this is gonna get into my fabulous mustache. <laughs> oh god, that guy. That guy is the internet's uh, daddy right now. He is. Between Mandalorian and The Last of Us. I saw a meme recently that actually made me laugh that said something along the lines of if your girl watches the Mandalorian and the last of us, she no longer belongs to you. She belongs to Pedro Pascal. (laughs) I thought that was cool. (laughs) That's great. All right. What's next? News. Do you fall asleep, Michael? Is he gone? He's yelling at his daughter probably for something. No, what's funny is I didn't even I didn't even mean for my last thing to be Last of Us. I just wanted to like kind of side note it real quick. Well, my last thing I was gonna bring up is the Dead Space remake, which I just started recently playing. Holy shit! Like Holy if you enjoyed Dead Space the original time through, which I did have it way back then, the uh, remastered, upgraded version is even that much better. And then I also downloaded the Cast. Sylvania DLC for Dead Cells, which is like a roguelike game. Um, so if you're into Dead Cells or those type of games, 
definitely get the Castlevania DLC because you're basically running through the game with the Castlevania soundtrack and lots of Castlevania like weapons and features sprinkled all throughout the world. And I got my ass kicked by the Tomb Reaper Simon, last night. Simon Bel- Belmont. Uh, you can't. It, it's unlockable that you that you can try to get him later on. Yeah, he's my favorite to play in like Smash Brothers. Oh, I like Alucard. As far as Castlevania goes, Alucard yeah. is in there. Yeah, you. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, that's the thing about these types of games. And I, I'm not sure Venom. I mean, I know you're a gamer. Do you play like a lot of rogue and roguelike games? Not really. No, the, the wife does. That that's her thing. Yeah, these type of games. The name of the game is really like uh, grinding out because it's like every single run you're unlocking something and I didn't like I didn't used to like these type of games because like every time you die you're basically going all the way back to the beginning they're designed to keep playing until you've powered yourself up enough that you can go through the whole game in one run and it can be it's like that Tom Cruise movie (laughs) 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 <laughs> but yeah, I I, I recently kind of got into them just because they're just becoming so good and smooth and and fun. So I finally gave in, and I think Dead Cells is like one of the best available. So even without the Castlevania DLC, but that just made it even sweeter. So yeah, I just wanted to mention the games I'm actually playing. I'm actually utilizing my PS5 for other than just watching 4K movies. Damn, that's good. And I will concur with the Dead Space remake. It, it it's my game of the year so far. I absolutely fucking love it. I'm on my second playthrough now. Um, I was a huge fan of the first two Dead Space games. The the third one, meh. I mean, I still played it through, but it definitely wasn't what, a favorite what, by any stretch. So what, what do you guys own it on? Like what system? Uh, I have everything, but you know that's because I have no kids and I have dispensable income. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm on PS5. Is it yeah. is it PS5 exclusive or is it on everything? No, I think it's on Xbox too. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I got okay. it. I have it on Xbox. Was it originally a PlayStation? Yeah, the first Dead Space was an Xbox game. No, it was never a PlayStation game. No, I had it, and I've never had an Xbox. Oh really? So, oh, it yeah. must have been shit. I I thought it was an exclusive for some reason. At least the first one. Was it an exclusive for like six months? Maybe. I mean that hey, that is that, possible. That, that could be but, possible. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I just remember it only being available for Xbox. Because I've always been a hardcore gamer, and I've always owned every console. I don't get into the squabbles of, oh, PlayStation's better, no, Xbox is better. Like, I don't do that shit. I, I get them all. I make my own decisions. And honestly, they're both great machines, and even even the Switch. Like, they're all great machines for different reasons. Yeah. You know, depending on the type of game you want to play, depending on the controller, um, depending on the internet access, I mean, all three of them have their pros and cons. So, yeah, I, I hate when people, you know, say Xbox sucks or PlayStation sucks. No, you just don't own one, so you're just going to say it sucks. <laughs> well, especially when you've never had the other one, so all their exclusives you've never been yeah. played, so you can't really make a good judgment. Exactly. How are you going to tell me PlayStation sucks if you haven't played God of War Ragnarok? Are you kidding? It was my game of the year last year. I fucking loved it. Chris Judge, fuck yeah. Hell yeah, Chris Judge. Despite the long-ass acceptance speech, he's still fucking awesome. <laughs> hey, hey, he got fucking Al Pacino to present him an award. Like, that was fucking crazy. Poor Al Pacino. I don't think he knew where he was. <laughs> I am here at the Game Awards, you know, hoorah. 
He's like, I don't really play games. No <laughs> shit, Al, really. <laughs> I'm doing the acting, you know. Oh, God. All right. Anyway, yep. yeah, Dead Space, awesome. Go buy it. <laughs> All right, that does it for what we were watching, playing, reading, uh, board gaming. Smoking. I, I, I didn't know how to use that in, in like an action verb <laughs> there. Uh, board gaming, <laughs> tabletop board gaming. Yo, I, I it's can't all believe, gaming. I can't all believe gaming. like we just had like an hour conversation about The Last of Us and that wasn't even the movie, the thing being reviewed. <laughs> Extended conversation, yeah. Yeah. Hey, when something's that good, it deserves uh, some extra talk. This is the way. This is the way. <laughs> All right, well, the way now is that uh, we'll bring up any news we have. Venom, I think before we recorded, you mentioned you had something, right? Uh, just a couple of things that have come up in the last few days since the Oscars. Um, obviously, first and foremost, uh, congratulations, Jamie Lee Curtis, for winning uh, Best Supporting Actress. The fact that she actually thanked all the horror fans in her acceptance speech um, absolutely made my nipples hard. So I love Jamie Lee with a passion, and that is not changing anytime soon. Um, but right after the Oscars, uh, they announced uh, Guillermo del Toro's new project. By the way, congratulations to Guillermo to, for winning his third Oscar. By the way, trivia, Guillermo del Toro is the only person to win the Oscar for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Animated Picture. Has never been done, so again, congrats, Guillermo. But the news involving him is his next project, which was announced to be Frankenstein. This will be a Netflix film. It will be a feature, not a television show. Obviously, it's just in the idea stages right now. I'm not even sure if it's written, but um, some of the casting um, kind of wish list that Guillermo has was the three names specifically that stuck out were, of course, Mia Goff. Oscar Isaac and Andrew Garfield. And if you don't Perlman. know, yeah, <laughs> stop it. Uh, Andrew Garfield played the second uh, Spider-Man in the Amazing Spider-Man movie. So there you go. You know who he, he is. He's, he was Peter three. Peter three. Yes. Oh man, but uh, obviously, you know, we all know how I feel about Mia Goth. Um, I'm not really looking forward to this. Unless she plays Igor, then I'm all in. Yeah, <laughs> make me a goth Igor. But otherwise, um, obviously, it's going to be a serious adaptation of, you know, The Human Prometheus, uh, the original book by Mary Shelley. So I'm excited. Obviously, no real news has come out about it other than just announcing the project. But Guillermo del Toro is my favorite director of all time. So I, I, I had to bring it up. And he just won an Oscar. So, of course, how do I not bring it up? I've seen more ads on social media about, oh, Mia Goth possibly casting, and I'm like, will you just make an official announcement on it? Or what? Daisy will announce it. (laughs) (laughs) And then the only other thing I have, only because the first screening of this movie was uh, Wednesday of this week, is the reviews that we're getting for Evil Dead Rise. Um, I'm sure if you're, you know, in the horror community, you've seen posts on social media But yeah, Evil Dead Rise is getting glowing reviews to the point where it's currently 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which means that no negative reviews have been written about that yet. Now, granted, what's that? When's it coming out again? Uh, April 4th, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, we we got at least a few weeks um, to go um, because it comes out. 
I think the week before the Pope's Exorcist, because the Pope's Exorcist comes out on my birthday. Oh, I want to see that for Russell Crowe doing that accent he did in Thor. That yeah, terrible I'm accent. Exorcist. <laughs> yeah, and wasn't it wasn't it kind of the success of Prey that convinced them to do a theatrical run? Because originally wasn't it going straight to VOD, and then they changed their mind. It was. I don't know. I, I've not read anything concrete that says the success of Prey was a factor here. But, I mean, it, it did seem odd that right after Prey was released, like within a week, they announced that, yeah, Evil Dead Rise is going to um, cinemas instead of straight to, uh, what, Hulu? Hulu or Netflix? I, for, I forget who had the rights to it. But, yeah, they decided to make it. I think it, it was HBO Netflix. Max. Oh, that might be right, too. Yeah. Because it's I, I get my Brothers. streaming services mixed up. Yeah, yeah, so was, uh, did you uh-huh. see the video from uh i think it was south by southwest of like after the movie screen they were doing the q a and like oh yeah <laughs> some dude stood up and was like the movie fucking sucked and then bruce campbell's like get the fuck out of here and there's like this whole yeah there's this whole debate on like online whether it was a stunt or not because the guy i think it's the the actual guy who was the one who stood up and said that he's like like every twitter thread that talks about it he he's claiming he was hired to do it but a i don't know if it's been authenticated if he's actually the guy or if he was it if he is the guy if he's telling the truth was it <laughs> I, 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 xbox i was there xbox of dx yeah so is evil dead rise is that a, a remake or a it's what is it it's, it's a, a continuation re- of Evil Dead 2013, so it doesn't have any direct ties to the original trilogy, um, but there are Easter eggs from what we're hearing. Um, and it's to a the remake point- of Demons 2. Oh, God, don't say that. <laughs> I love Demons 2. <laughs> no, I do too, but for more for its camp value than... <laughs> like I love I like Evil Dead 2013 was my number one movie of 2013. I fucking adore that movie. It was a 10 out of 10 for me. I loved everything about it. I know not everyone agrees with that opinion and that's fine. But hey, if Venom, this yeah, did something, I did something change? Did something change cuz the articles I read said it builds off the original trilogy, not the 2013 remake. See, I read this. something yesterday that said it's more Attached to the 2013 See, remake. To me, the style, like, because <laughs> I've seen the tra- the trailer they throw in the theater, it feels in the style more of the 2013 remake, but yes. storylined or connected tissue. I from the articles I'm reading, it says from the original trilogy. Spoiler. I mean, it's quite possible. S- but I, so it was in the 2013 remake because they had like the old Oldsmobile from the fucking first movie in that movie. Oh, yeah. I, well, the like 2013 said, I, one was kind of different because they said like it takes place in the same world, but it's not like a sequel, really, right. kind of. Yeah. No, no, it's a requel. Not, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Bruce Campbell at the end credits and groovy. <laughs> yeah, I love the 2013 one too. Oh, we Absolutely love Nikki. Love it. I love it. <laughs> I I adore it. I love the story. I love the fact that they're all there to help out their friend. Just everything about that movie works for me. The fact that the guy who actually opened the book is the the guy who gets fucked up the most in the movie. I ah I, I it just it, it's such a guilty pleasure for me. I I just fucking adore that movie. Like I said, my number one in 2013. It's a great six and a half out of ten. 
For you, Mike? Yeah. Mike is an evil dead connoisseur, though. I no, mean, it's not bad, but it ain't good. Either. Yeah, it was, it's, I don't. I don't <laughs> I even think that's that a, is a D. <laughs> see, to me, that's not even a bad rating. But I, I don't even want to get into all of my explaining that. I've done that many times. But I thought it was like good. It was enjoyable, but it doesn't touch anything close to like the Raimi movies to me. But that's just one person. But I don't. I can see why it's very loved though, because it's it's very entertaining. Like it, I still had fun. It's just you know what you know why that's like that, Raimi Mike, that right? Like better. What what's that there? Because same Raimi was like the Fiddy Alvarez. Make it your own, son. Make it your own. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I will. The the only piece of news that I had to piggyback off this is Bruce Campbell did come out this past week, and I don't know if they're doing that thing again where they're going to say this for ten years. But I'm gonna come back for Ash one more he, time. First, he first he said he he retired from playing Ash forever. Like that was what a couple years ago. Now he's saying I'll come back and play Ash, but only if Raimi actually directs. Like I, not if Raimi produces, not if he consults, but if Raimi actually is the director, which I would assume he, that would mean he has a hand in the writing too. But he said he would come back under that condition only. So. I'm like, is this going to be another decade of teasing and nothing happens? Or is he coming out and saying this because, like, there's a chance that it's going to happen? And that makes me think, well, let's see how successful at the box office Evil Dead Rises because that could help maybe push Raimi in that direction. Because, you know, Raimi, he doesn't have to do it. He's making nope. big blockbusters now. But if he, still has, if he still has a passion for the material, like, to do it, Hell yeah, do it if the studios will let you do it for like the right amount of budget and all that stuff. I I would welcome yeah. it, but you know we'll see. And I, Evil Dead Rises box office might be an indicator of what direction they would go. Hey, he still he still kind of got it because that, that Doctor Strange movie. Yo, I love that Doctor Strange movie. That was fucking great. Yeah, fucking... it was just so different that you know after ten years of the MCU, they give us something like that that's practically Lovecraftian. Fuck but yeah, I loved it. Evil Dead Four it even has books. Kinda, in you could make the argument. Yeah, that's right. There is a Necronomicon type book in there. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, fucking have... Raimi. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's fucking awesome, and fucking, I want a Pizza Papa fucking crossover movie. Dude, I just want some Pizza Poppers. Those those look delicious. Those pizza, pizza balls? Pizza balls? Fucking, I said that to my yeah. sister. I wish they were real. Pizza balls? Pizza balls all day long. <laughs> just, oh, just, my God. Just, just go on YouTube and look up Pizza Papa scene, Mike, and you know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, about, Bruce Campbell's in that scene, too, so at least you, you know, it's not all superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Campbell is a superhero, you assholes. <laughs> he was. He was Sonic Boom and fucking Sky High. Yeah. And that's right. what was that show he did? Uh, fuck. Not Briscoe County Jr., but there was like Zena another Warrior. one. Yeah, Zena. Yeah, he, yeah, that, was, he was Ted, that was more too. Ted, wasn't it? Was was. Didn't he do hmm. something with no, like no, Jack you're right, of all you're trades? Right. I can't remember the fuck. The character name. If, if Mrs. Venom was home, I could ask her because she was a religious viewer of like Xena and Hercules. The legend continues. Burn notice. He was on Burn notice too. Burn notice. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I loved. I remember those notice. those years when like Xena and Briscoe County Jr. and uh, Texas Walk or Walker Texas Ranger were like always on back to back to back. Even if they were just syndicated <laughs> reruns, they would block yep. those shows together. <laughs> In Hercules too. Yeah, you brought that one up. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. 
But anyway, we didn't even mention the greatest news ever. Where we got the return of Monk. <laughs> what? The make Tony Shalhoub's coming back to play Monk for a movie. What? Yeah. No, no. I'm not questioning the news. I'm questioning why the fuck are we talking about this? <laughs> fucking Monk. Because <laughs> it's Monk. Okay, cool. I love you, Venom. I've never watched Monk, so I have I have no basis of opinion. Sadly. Oh, you got to watch it for Ted Levine. Eh. Oh, so good. <laughs> what are you doing? Monk, help me put this in. Are you a big, fat person, Monk? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> All right, well, on that note, should we take our break before we talk about these movies then? Is it time? Yeah, because I'm going a little loony. (laughs) Yeah, we're going long on this opening, so yeah, might as well. All right, everyone, we will be back to talk our movies. Uh, Nikki was kind enough as our guest to pick them, so before we hit the break, Nikki, what movies are we going to be talking about? We will be talking about 1985 House and the 2008 film Martyrs. Oof. Yeah, so tonally we're we're spanning the spectrum here. So Cat uh, Williams buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> this is a house where no one should live. Woman lived here before you was nuts. Wouldn't be surprised if someone just got fed up and off her. She was my aunt. Heart of gold though. Roger Cobb has come here alone. Daddy? (laughs) But no one is ever alone in the house. This house knows everything about you. Leave while you can. No! It has been waiting for him. Hi. Sandy. Now. It wants you. Horror has found a new home. your own risk. Oh, my God. 
Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go! And now, on with the show. All right, we are back, and we are going to discuss two very different films. So first off, I just want to say thank you to everyone for letting me pick the two films. I'm so excited to talk about these. I actually went with a revenge theme, but I wanted to make sure that the two films that I picked, um, that it would be cohesive with the themes in them. So I really did think about that in terms of the plot and like what happens in the film. But I also wanted to make sure that one of them would be a little more lighthearted and airy, whereas the other one is a little more brutal. So let's start with the light and airy one, the 1985 film House. So this is a film that I watched all the time when I was younger. It's very fun. It's one that I will still watch multiple times a year to this day just because of the nostalgia and the love that I have for it. And what it's about is this novelist who, in the very beginning of the film, his aunt, she actually dies in the house where he grew up. And he goes to her funeral, and this opens up like this whirlwind of all of these things from his past. He wants to write a novel about his experiences in the war. So he goes to the house, he moves in, he's like in there all by himself writing this story and all of these weird little things start to happen in the house and his aunt had always said that the house was haunted and he wasn't like always privy to that like it wasn't something that he really seen so he sits down to explore his experiences in the war and as the story unfolds, you come to learn that his son went missing while him and his wife were visiting his aunt one day. Like he was just clipping some bushes and his son was like playing with the car, like off to the side. And then the next thing he sees is his son is like in the pool. It looks like he's struggling. He's drowning. And he jumps in the pool and he goes to save him and he's nowhere to be found. And nobody ever could figure out, like, what happened to his son. So when he goes back to this house, not only does it bring up all of this trauma, it also is a constant reminder that his son went missing when he was in um, 
at a at an earlier time. And he has this wife who's this famous actress, and their relationship is strained due to what happened. And then the weird things in the house start to unravel as he starts to examine these things that happened in the past. There's like these cre- creepy little goblins throughout the house. There's um, like, you know, flying axes. Yes, flying axes, like mm-hmm. ghostly things that are happening that chase him. Like the way that it's set up, it's so much fun. And no, it's not like scary, like in a scary sense. But if you were in that house, it definitely would be scary. And I do feel that this is very metaphorical as well, because the revenge part of this happens at the end of the film when you learn like what happened really happened to his son and you learn how everything ties together, which we can get in at two after I hear all of your guys' thoughts and whatnot. Um, but yeah, this is one of my favorite films of all time and I'm really excited to hear what you guys think about it. All right. Um, I'll, I'll go first. So yeah, house has always been, um, a movie I've enjoyed since childhood. You, you mentioned growing up watching a lot. Same with me. We actually wore out a VHS tape of it because we would kind of use this as a nighttime movie when you're, when you're going to bed. Sometimes I don't know if all kids did this, but we would kind of find like those two or three movies that would almost be your like nighttime routine movies. And this was one of them. And I want to say like tonally, it, yeah, it, most of the movie is kind of more fun, more playful. But I'll be honest, when I was a kid, uh, Big Ben did kind of scare me. But I think what <laughs> what contributed to that was you, you actually set him up. Because a lot of stuff that's going on in the house, like um, that was, you guys listed off already, it's not so much personally related to uh, Roger. Um Obviously, the house itself I, is in the family, but like the, the little goblins and the tool shed stuff flying through the air. But the character of Big actually is set up from his past. And it's funny because when you first named like the two movies you were picking, I was like, huh. I was like, totally, they're way off. But I know Nikki would have like made sure there's some connected tissue. And really. Yeah, the, uh, he has like the survivor's guilt going on that really sets up the third act, I think. And I think that alone really gives a connective tissue to to martyrs. It's funny to say, because any any listener that's familiar with both movies, they're probably going to be like, huh, House and Martyrs? What the hell? But <laughs> yeah, I didn't even see is... the, the comments on the fucking that I left when I posted. <laughs> yeah, there definitely is metaphorical and allegory uh, similarities not every aspect of the movies, obviously, but with some of the the character themes in it. And yeah, Big, Big Ben, uh, when I was a kid, I would always hope that the scene where he gets tossed off the side of the cliff would be like the end of him. And that would be his demise. And he'd always come back for like the, the final part. And I just thought that makeup was so done. It was done so well. Just, and it, you know, obviously uh, Richard Mull, just as a, human being he's he's big physical and imposing without having to try oh i just thought he was a natural fit for for that role um now the 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 vietnam 
kind of scenery. Obviously, it looked like it was on a soundstage. So watching it now, yeah. it's like, gee, that looks like they could film it in someone's backyard or something. But hey, you know, <laughs> I, I, I like it. It's 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 fun. Um, and the other thing, the other thing I would say, just to open it up, um, the score. I I remember being a kid, and you didn't always have the ability to look stuff up and figure out who's working on the score. But before I knew like who the actual person that was that made it, I was like, man, this sounds like an awfully lot like Friday the 13th score. And then you find out, Oh, Manfredini. Okay. That may, you know, later on in life, I'm like, Oh, okay. That makes perfect sense. Cause it has a lot of similar sounding musical cues. And just, uh, anytime something spooky happens on the screen and the music hits, it's like, Yep, makes sense. Very, very similar. But yeah, all around, I've always had fun with this movie. I actually have a house shirt that I picked up at a convention before. So yeah, you can say I am a fan of house. Nice. I'm actually very surprised that um, the, that Nikki said that the connective tissue of these movies is revenge. Um, more so because I don't look at our second movie as a revenge movie. I'll get into that during that review, obviously. And I don't really look at this one all that much as revenge, um, especially on this last watch. I started to realize a lot of the psychological elements of this movie. Think about it. I, I feel like the house is Roger's mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has survivor's guilt. Because, you know, he left Ben back there. Ben ends up getting tortured and killed by the Viet Cong. So he's he's never been able to forgive himself for that. Um, the monster in the closet, to me, it looks like a con- uh, like an amalgamation of all the dismembered, disemboweled, blown up, mutilated bodies that Roger probably saw in Vietnam. Because yeah. if you look at the monster, it's vaguely humanoid. There's arms, there's legs, there's a head, there's eyes. Obviously, yeah, it's very mutated and fucked up, but that's kind of how I look at it. And then the witch, his wife turning into the witch, I feel like... Feels with his marriage. Yes, because she left him after the boy disappeared. They are not together in this movie. They are divorced. He says it at the book signing, we're divorced now. So I think he harbors a little bit of animosity towards her um, for that, for him, for her leaving after the disappearance of their son. So that's why he kind of sees himself in that cathartic um, kind of self view of him shooting her and shooting her as an evil monster too, not shooting her as a loving mother, shooting her as an evil monster who's trying to kill him. So I, I, I've never thought about this stuff before this particular viewing. Now, my history with this movie mirrors Mike and Nikki's. Um, I, I had recorded this movie off of HBO one night, and I wore the hell out of that videotape. I watched this movie a shitload. I think this was one of only two like movies that I actually had access to you know, growing up early on. Um, so, yes, I love this movie. Absolutely love it. Always took it at face value. But on this watch, especially because it was paired with our second movie, I really started to see the themes of survival guilt Um, because our second movie, holy shit, our second movie has survival guilt stamped on its forehead. This one is a little bit more subtle about it because, you know, Roger doesn't seem like Roger seems like his mind is elsewhere because of the disappearance of his child, not necessarily because of what happened to him in Vietnam. But obviously, as he starts writing his book about Vietnam, all those memories start come, you know, they come flooding back. And 
that's when the survival guilt kicks in again of, oh, shit, I haven't thought about Ben in so many years and what I basically did to him because I'm a bitch. Because um, I'm sorry, in that situation, there was no fucking reason Roger should leave him alive. I'm going to get you, Roger. Zero. I'm going to get I, you. Yeah. Um, that, that, that scene has always bothered me. I always call Roger a bitch in that scene because it's exactly what he is. But that's okay. Um, but yeah, watching it on this watch and seeing all the the psychological connective tissue really like just made me think differently about the movie. I look at this movie now more as a psychological thriller than a straight horror movie. You can take the movie at face value. That's fine. At, at face value, it's a haunted house that fucks with anybody who lives in the house. Cool. Nothing wrong with that because it's still a fun movie. But when I started to think about the house as Roger's fractured mind, it, it just it opened my eyes. And I, I got to say, this was one of my favorite rewatches of the film. I just bought the Arrow Blu-ray recently at a convention at the end of last year. So it gave me a reason to watch it. And, and it looks spectacular, obviously. Um, but yeah, overall, I adore this film. Absolutely love it. Is it a 10 out of 10? Is it a fucking masterpiece? No, of course not. But if you're of the right age, when it came out, it's one of those movies that was on HBO a lot. And we just, you know, as a little kid, to be able to watch a movie with monsters in it and kills and decapitations, but it's not so over the top that it's going to fuck up my brain. I, I think it's just an absolutely beautiful gateway horror film. Like every kid between the ages of like, I don't know, 11 to 14, maybe 15 would just should absolutely adore this film, um, whether they're a horror fan or not. And maybe it'll make them a horror fan. Who knows? Because it definitely had that influence on me. I was already a horror fan by 85, 86, I believe. But, it, you know, seeing this all the time and then recording it once, you know, after we actually bought a VCR, uh, I just I, I love this film. Absolutely adore it. And yeah. Like I said, way more layers under here than I initially thought. So thank you, Nikki, for this. This was great. Yeah, especially like I bet you were excited with like all the Friday connections too. Dude, this is basically a Friday the Thirteenth production. I mean, it's directed Steve by Minor. Steve Miner, who directed Friday the Thirteenth Part Two and Three. the The score is done by Harry Manfredini, who is my favorite. Him and Mike Oldfield are my two favorite composers of all time. Colin Stetson is one of the newer ones who's kind of building a reputation and getting up to that level. But you know, Manfredini and um, like Sean I said, Cunningham, you know, yeah, definitely. And then, of course, Sean S. Cunningham is the fucking producer of the film. So I look at this as basically Friday the 13th part, what, 3.5. <laughs> and train dudes in there. Exactly. And then, yeah, more connective tissue to Friday the 13th with Creighton Duke in there playing a nameless police officer. But, but you just think he just turns into Creighton Duke after this movie? <laughs> right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's so much to love about this movie. It's not pretentious. It's not up its own ass. It knows what it is, but can still be so much more if you really delve into it like I did last night. So, yeah, rock on house. House, hell yeah, fucking yeah! I got that same Arrow Blu-ray because I actually have the UK edition of the uh, House collection where it has all four movies. I say that with my fingers. 
Yeah, quotations. <laughs> yeah. Four. Venom, did you watch Greatest American Hero at all? Back I was a religious viewer of that. My mother now, and I never missed an episode. Ever. Now, because I was so young at that in that during those that those specific years, did this come first or did that come first? Oh no, that came first. This okay, is so because uh, I remember, it's kind of foggy to me because we're talking like the first like. 10 years of my life at, 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 during these years. I, I remember that like it was either watching house that I was like, Hey, I know that guy or watching greatest American hero going, Hey, I know that guy. So it must've been, I saw greatest American hero like randomly as like a real, real little kid. And then saw him in house. And I was like, Oh, it's that guy. Cause yeah. Uh, yeah. Great American hero was 1981. I knew him as the bad guy from Carnosaur too. That's right. Yeah, if, if Greatest American Hero was eighty one, then I obviously caught it on like syndication reruns because I was not watching it when I was one. So, <laughs> yeah, I was definitely watching it with my mom. My dad, I remember my dad thinking it was a stupid show, and ultimately it is a stupid show. But yeah. it's one that I absolutely yeah, it's enjoyed. kind of the point from what I yeah, remember. Exactly. The, the whole <laughs> the point is like your average Joe Schmo show. getting yeah. Hell, you should yeah, know what you get into with that theme song. And did he even have <laughs> did he even have superpowers or was it the costume itself that gave him? It was the costume, time? yeah. Yeah, was, it was yeah. The costume. That's what I thought. It's just been so long. He was Ultraman. Uh, basically, <laughs> basically, yeah. Uh, words, some yeah. aliens dropped off the suit, but he he um, I, I guess he like they when they dropped off the suit, they dropped off instructions for the suit as well. But he didn't see the instructions, so he walked away without picking them up. So the whole comedy of the series was him trying to figure out how this suit works and watching him fly like a, you know, retarded goose and just, like I said, hilarity all over the place. Then they remade it as the movie Clown. Oh, stop that. <laughs> did, uh, did that show get like a proper ending or you just kind of like get canceled? Nah. Nah, because I, I, I would have assumed it would have ended with the aliens, like e either a him figuring out how the suit works and actually becoming a legit hero or b the aliens coming back and taking the suit back from him. But, yeah, I don't think either of those ever happened. Yeah. So it's the end of Ultraman. I'll go with that. <laughs> or like the ending of Alf, where he kind of got taken, but not really. And we just don't know what the hell happened to Alf. Well, he had another show. Agent Elf. Yeah. <laughs> so we did know yeah. what happened. Ah, uh, yeah, House. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I first seen this movie like uh, I didn't get to see it like before you guys because remember I'm a little bit younger than you guys. You know, youngin. I'm a youngin, but I got it on the DVD like, and I got the Arrow fucking. Sat with the four movies, which included like House, House Two, the horror show, and then fucking House Four, which actually, ironically, is weird because it actually has William Cat return as the same character, but he has a whole new family <laughs> and a daughter somehow. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah. Now, can you do you ever hear uh, the Linda Ronstadt song "You're No Good" without thinking of this movie? Because I always, even though I think in the well, movie at the cover of it, <laughs> it's not the actual original, but it doesn't matter. Even when I hear Linda Ronstadt singing it, all I think of is this movie. Unfortunately, <laughs> I do not, because I'm old enough to remember when that song was a fucking hit. So yeah. You're no good. You're no good. No, I just uh, me and my 
fiance, we went out to eat and that song played at the deli where we got sandwiches. And this was like literally within like probably the last two or three weeks. So yeah, every time I hear it, I always think of house. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It just seemed like such a random song to like, and we get like the majority of the song too. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like a typical 30 seconds of a a song they throw in during like a scene transition or a montage. It's like we get a full length montage with song. (laughs) And what a a perfect placement too. Like literally right after he kills the witch fucking perfect placement. Love. Uh, I I love the scene where he's burying the body and the hot chick comes up to him. The world's greatest mother. You mean? Yeah. Hmm. Fucking bitch. (laughs) She's the least favorite part of this movie for me. I hate this woman. I I hate this woman with a passion. Who the fuck leaves their kid at a complete stranger's house so that she can go fuck some other guy? What? Plus her kid's a monster because he's just fucking climbing everywhere. You know, (laughs) it makes sense to me. What could be the question? Like, was this also a movie about... Roger needing to set better boundaries like he could not tell her no and then like when he has like the whole showdown with Big Ben he's like Roger you hit like a little girl like he's just like it's like him coming into his power you know and the thing with this film there are so many like layers and metaphors and I really appreciated you bringing through the psychological aspect of that because you know growing up I never picked up on you know the fact that the house was like his mind and like it was his fears and whatnot for me it was always like focused on like the revenge aspect which is why I chose the theme in terms of what he experienced in the war this this is a spoiler so he leaves you know big ben for dead and then that comes into play in the house maybe you know that was like his biggest fear the one thing that he regretted the most and big ben is the one exerting the revenge but at the same time there's all these other layers of like what you're talking about with survivor's guilt and the trauma and all the fears and it's just really cool to see it in that light in a way that i had never seen it you know with as many times as I've watched this film, I absolutely love all the metaphors. Thought it was so cool. Absolutely. Hell yeah! And we we didn't even get to talk about fucking Harold. Harold ah, George. George. He's the worst, but he would not work. This film would not work without him. (laughs) It's true. Like, I remember the first couple of times I watched this thinking Harold was an asshole for calling his wife. But as I get older, I I actually realized that that was probably the nicest thing that Harold could have done. Because, you know, he could have called the cops or he could have been that Karen type neighbor that's just always watching him and starting shit with him or whatever. But, you know. Like I said, it's an invasion of privacy, yes, but he did it for all the right reasons. So I now understand that he was being a good guy. Yeah, he's the guy who got him out of the shell that he was in. Yeah, that's valid. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mike Mike did earlier mention, I, I just wanted to mention that uh, Mike earlier mentioned Ben's uh, death. Uh, well, the first death when he falls off the cliff. I got to say, this is probably the best dummy fall death I've ever seen. 
I mean, the way that the head pops off when it hits mm-hmm. the rock, fucking brilliant. Like, most <laughs> dummy deaths are terrible, and this is easily one of the best ones I've ever seen. So Yeah, and again. the fact that they hold the long shot on it, too, because yeah. I almost kind of forgot how good it was until this rewatch, um, just because it's always kind of been a movie I can casually put on, but I, I was, like, just paying close attention, and I was like, wow, they keep that tracking shot all the way for the fall, and it... It looks good even when it like lands and hits. Yeah, I was like, damn, mm-hmm. this is some skill right there. Uh, plus, 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 I love the casting of the most swarmy actor ever, the butler from fucking the hotel and Ghostbusters. As Chet, <laughs> he's he always like, like plays like this swarmy character. Like it's great, like the way he, his body functions and shit. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Because he like he's in that Ghostbusters, this movie, and Children of the Corn three, and <laughs> it's fucking great. Did oh, we haven't even talked about. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did you guys also pick up on when um you know right before the phone call or he calls the police to see like if they had any news on his son? And there's like a woman that answers. I'm pretty sure that was the same the, the voice of the woman that played his his wife in the film. Did you guys pick up on that or think yeah, about it all? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. I did not. Notice, no. I, I think I, they actually mentioned that cause I, I rewatched it with the commentary too by uh, Steve minor. I think he did mention that. Nice. I remember. And, oh, another Friday, the 13th connection. You know, who the stunt coordinator was on this movie. Mm-mm. Kane hotter. <laughs> oh, shit. More connection. That's a good piece of trivia. Yeah. <laughs> Damn right. Let JP I'm, know in case he ever mm-hmm. finishes his damn trivia. Ha! That's not going to happen. Don't uh, start another one before they finish that one. <laughs> I blame that more on Brandon. Brandon. Eh. Whatever. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, and we haven't even brought up Auntie, who I fucking love Auntie in this movie. That scene after the boy disappears and she smiles at that cop, I lose it every fucking time. Yeah. I don't know what it is about that cheesy shit eating grin that she gives to the cop, but I oh. fucking love it. I love it. I love when the Harold first meets Roger and he's like, Oh the lady was a bitch that lived here. She was my aunt. Oh, oh she was nice. Particles. Particles. <laughs> yeah. Great yeah. recovery norm. Yes. And that's like that's the type of like comic delivery where it's like it's not necessarily a punchline, but it's the way he mm-hmm. just says it so dry, like both things, like it's just a switch, and it just you can't help but laugh at that. Yeah, uh, George Wynn should do some more like horror genre movies, like like he's great in this, and one of my favorite episodes of Masters of Horror was the one he did with John Landis, mm-hmm. where he played the serial killer. We're trying to make a family. Oh, family! Yeah, that was the name of the episode. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's awesome. I'll tell you the um, other thing is, oh, as a kid, I as a kid, I never uh, looked at medicine cabinets and bathrooms the same. I would always <laughs> open, I would always open them and kind of mess with them just out of yep. curiosity. Being a kid. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never, I never had the courage to actually break one to like look in, but <laughs> I, I did. I, I did always open it and look behind it. Uh, did you do that after you watch Indian in the Covered. <laughs> yeah. I did it after I watched Poltergeist. I never wanted to look in the bathroom mirror for like a week after I saw Poltergeist. And even the covered more terrifying. It had little tiny David Keith. Hey, but at least he sounds cool. 
Yeah. Or am I thinking of Keith David? I don't know. I always get those two names backwards. I don't know. I want to see a movie where they play brothers and they were adopted. <laughs> that would be awesome. David you were Keith, supposed to be, and Keith You David. were supposed to be David David, and you were supposed to be Keith Keith, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say, Venom? Oh, go ahead. What were you going to say, Venom? Oh, I was done. So what were you going to say to me about something? Oh, that um, you were talking about some of George Wentz uh, appearances. Don't forget, he was recently in uh, Joe Bezos' Bliss. Oh yeah, he's, he's only in. Yeah. yeah, he's only in one scene, but yeah, it, was a, it was a pretty cool scene. Yeah, and he becomes <laughs> a Fulci zombie at the end. That's right. <laughs> are you are you guys fans of? Uh, House Two, the second story at all? Because I know there's four yes. House movies technically, but I feel like I love the, first, the Puppy. Yes, the first two yeah. feel kind of like their own world, and then the yes. third and the fourth are their kind of own thing. But yeah, the third and the fourth feel like someone just bought the rights to the name House, and they just made a movie, kind of like Creepshow Three. Um, but there's various examples where where people will pick up a franchise, but then they won't do. Oh, uh, Troll obviously is one of them. Where Troll mm-hmm. Two has nothing to do with Troll. Um, yeah, people, especially in the 80s and 90s, people did this a lot. Like they would buy up cheap franchises. Like after House Two, you know, didn't do so well in the theaters. They thought the franchise was dead, so somebody probably picked up the license cheap and made those other two movies that well are cheap. No, I think yeah. I think horror show is still coming in. The the horror show is cool. It's just it it's has nothing to do with like this All type right. of movie. Yeah, it's it's basically shocker. It, oh. it, it almost felt like a Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the way kind of shocker had those elements. But yeah, House Two, the second story, I, I actually did kind of like as well. Yeah, I like uh, the cowboy dude in it. I thought he was good. The yeah, prospect, yeah, the bad guy, the bad guy. The bad guy too is fucking badass. <laughs> when he yeah. just comes out of the table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I seen yeah. the second one when I was a kid, but I haven't seen it since, so I don't even remember anything about it. And I've never seen the third or the fourth one. Yeah, don't bother. I, I want I want the catter puppy as a shirt. The catter puppy is awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I highly recommend part two, Nikki. But yeah, three and four you can just not worry about. <laughs> four has does have House that. Two, the second. If you ever curious about part four, just will go on YouTube and look at the pizza scene. That's what that movie's famous for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what else can we say about this awesome movie? It's, it's pretty awesome, man. You know, like like I said, I the Arrow edition is pretty sweet. That documentary on it, it's like two hours, I think. About the making of it. It's over an hour, yeah. There's and there's two documentaries. On the one that I have, it has like an a new one. That's the long one, and then it's got one from back in the day too, from the when the movie first came out. That's pretty yeah. cool. And I, like I didn't even know Fred Decker. This is his story. I mean, I yeah, love he Fred wrote De- it. Yeah, Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps. So like I love that shit. Yeah, this this movie has a lot of connections with '80s horror that a lot of people maybe may not realize, but yeah. You know, some people just look at this as a cheesy, you know, haunted house movie. Some people realize it's brilliance, if you will. <laughs> at least I did on this watch, anyway. <laughs> and man, like the effects on Big Ben, like that giant ghost thing, it was fucking awesome. Yeah, 
The only thing that doesn't really hold up very well is that flying demon that like shot him because it was stop motion and stop motion never really looks that good. But even even uh, the closet monster, you know, even though he doesn't have much mobility, I thought he still looked great on this watch. Yeah. Yeah. The two little kid monsters were cool, even though we only see them briefly. They were pretty cool. The hand of the witch when it goes in the toilet. Oh, God, that fucking hand. (laughs) What did you guys think of the relationship between Roger and Big Ben, like before Big Ben, you know, did what he did? Big Ben, Big Ben was kind of an ass because he had that he had that live forever syndrome where he thought he was invincible. Uh, that was the character, anyway. Obviously, not Richard Mull, but it, yeah, it seemed, you know, Barry Barnes from Platoon. Exactly. Like he, he was never quiet. He never did what his CEO told him to do. Blah 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 blah. Um, so honestly, he bothers me a little bit. Like Ben, uh, excuse me, Roger doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would hang out with a Ben. You know, Ben seems like an alpha male, always, you know, the life of the party, blah, blah, blah. Whereas Roger is that quiet, subdued, you know, writer. It just doesn't seem. Yeah, I just doesn't seem like they would have a relationship. But of course, it's Vietnam. And I personally have never seen war. I don't think any of us on the show have. So that's like a whole nightmare that I know nothing about. So who knows, you know, what kind of relationships blossom in the middle of war. But yeah. It always did feel kind of like the chemistry wasn't there um, in the Vietnam scenes anyway. Once Ben comes back, I love every fucking exchange <laughs> between those two. Every line is fucking great. <laughs> yeah, I always felt like their their relationship was strained. Like I never really like saw them as friends in yep. the in the film. I felt the same way. I thought that their friendship would like kind of had like a toxic element to it a little bit. Well, yeah, because yeah, he, he bullied Roger. I mean, you know, yeah. th- that's the thing about bullies is that they, they chalk everything up to, oh, it's just a joke or it's just a prank. But it's like, yeah, but you're still, you know, holding it over me and, you know, stupid shit like that and calling me a pussy and blah, blah, blah. It's like, what kind of friendship is this? It's it's just really weird. If you think this is the greatest Vietnam flashback scene, then you're going to watch Velocipastors. Oh, Velocipaster. Holy shit. Remember those flashbacks? <laughs> Vaguely. I only watched it once, but yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, my God. I'm trying to keep the move, the, the laughter because the move, the next movie we're going to be talking about, we can't really laugh at anything. Oh, I'm going to be laughing the whole time. Oh, boy. <laughs> no. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess we're we, we, yeah, I think we're uh, ready to watch. Uh, totally change the tone <laughs> so uh nikki uh <laughs> all right set us up for our next movie all right this one is much more brutal it's 2008 martyrs the first time i saw this film was i believe in 2019 and i had heard how brutal it was and lacy kept recommending it to me my sister she said i think you would like this And I had put it off because I thought it was one of those extreme horror films, which I'm not really big into extreme horror. But Lacey's like, no, this yes, it's brutal, but it has a lot of messaging in it that I think that you would appreciate or would like to analyze and wrap your mind around it. So I said, okay. So I sat down and I watched it. 
And my first viewing experience of this film, I was shocked by how brutal it is. I cried for about two hours after it was over. It impacted me that much because this film, it's unlike anything I had ever seen up to this point. The way that it depicts human suffering and trauma and just everything that goes into those things that come about due to having been abused for a long period of time and what that does to a person, it just really, really emotionally affected me. So what this film is about, there are these two girls who are best friends and they both endured a lot of child abuse when they were younger and they escape it and it's kind of like how the the opening shot um sets up the film and then the next scene is you're we're taken into this family's home there's a son a daughter a mom and a dad and they seem to have like this light-hearted attitude they're laughing the brother and the sister are fighting rolling down the stairs and you're like okay well what is this compared to the opening that I just seen like where is this going and then the doorbell rings and the dad gets completely blown away by a girl with a shotgun and she meanders throughout the house and she kills everyone and it it's like one of those like in your face moments like it wasn't something that I was expecting to happen like my jaw dropped I'm like okay where is like this movie will have you on the edge of your seat from beginning to end because of how it reveals things in layers and you come to find out that this girl she she's taking revenge on this family because she she is 100% certain that they are the ones that abused her when she was a child. And she calls her friend, and her friend comes and helps her. And then what unravels is you see how deeply this young woman has been traumatized due to having been abused. And her friend she's kind of like the light in the situation and you're kind of like, well, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have affected her as much as the, the other one. And she's like, not sure that her friend is 100% telling the truth. And you, you see that there's this woman that is tormenting her and just, and she, like the revenge aspect, like you, you really feel for her because you, she says, she keeps saying, I killed them. It's over. And having killed this family, it didn't take away her pain. It just didn't. And that left me broken just seeing that. And then as things continue to unfold, the story takes a very more sinister turn which we'll we'll get into as we as I when you guys reveal your thoughts here. But when I think of the term martyr, for me that is 
a term that it, it's someone who endures a lot of suffering and pain for like the greater good of, of humanity or is it's somebody who it, it's not typically in my eyes, it's not typically forced upon them. It, it's like a decision that one makes is how I kind of view the term, but that's not how this film depicts it in this film. It's definitely forced and the the scenes where uh, the other friend she she endures abuse later in the film here those are very very hard to watch and i found it interesting that all of the people that were abused in the film as well were women like they they didn't really um portray any men except for the one scene where the the main character when she finds a certain area in the house there's pictures up on the wall of all these martyrs and there are some pictures that are that are men not every single photo on the wall is is a woman so i found that very interesting and yeah we could talk a little bit more about the the ending here. I, I just really, I am excited to hear what your guys' thoughts are about this and what you, you think. But yeah, I, I really, I do love this film, but it's not an easy watch by any means. All right. I, I'm going to jump in here because I got a lot to say about Martyrs. First of all, um, I mentioned earlier during our review of House that I don't look at Martyrs as a revenge film because ultimately the revenge only takes about half the movie on top of the fact that with 99.9% of revenge films, we'll see the initial trauma. You know, whether it's a rape revenge film, we'll see the rape. If it's just a standard revenge film, kind of like Cold Hell, where the, the lady who was a taxi driver got attacked by the killer and then she went out looking for revenge, like those to me, come off as more true revenge movies. Now, I'm not saying anyone is right or wrong to call this a revenge movie. That's cool. I'm just saying, in my personal opinion, I don't look at it that way. But goddamn martyrs. Um, once again, uh, a major theme of survivor's guilt here. I mean, you know, we had Roger with his survival guilt over Big Ben, and now we've got Lucy with her survival guilt over the woman that she left there 15 years earlier. And the fact that they, like with House, it's very obviously, or should I say with House, you could take it one way or another, psychological or, you know, take it at face value. With this one, they 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 basically spell it out that Lucy is just seeing shit because, you know, um, at random times we'll see the we'll see Lucy's POV and she'll be looking at the woman. But then we'll look at Anna's POV and she's just looking at her at uh, Lucy just like hitting her head on the the wall or cutting herself or whatever the case may be. So this, this one, like I said, has survival guilt just stamped right on its forehead. It's just th this poor girl has been living for 15 years, not only with the trauma that she had to go through, but with the, the knowledge that she left someone there and she never went back. She never called the cops. Maybe she did. I mean, obviously they could have skipped a lot of scenes. The movie's already an hour and 40 minutes, but 
you know, it, everything moves along so quickly. Like the 15 year jump happens, you know, right after the opening scene. And one of the other great things I love about this movie is that on first watch, you have no fucking idea what's going on for more than half the movie. All you're doing is you're watching this girl. It's very obvious that Anna wasn't, uh, you know, held captive here. Um, you know, obviously she was still an orphan. They met at the orphanage. Maybe Anna has gone through some other trauma in her life. Obviously, just being in an orphanage is trauma right there. But um, so obviously, as Nikki mentioned, you know, there's scenes where Anna doesn't even really believe Lucy. They're obviously really close friends. And. But just the fact that Anna is not 100% on board with this revenge plot, even though, you know, she helps her. Obviously, it's her friend. You're going to help a friend. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll help my best friend bury a body. I mean, that's, that's what best friends do. So, you know, it makes sense that she does what she does here. But to have that little bit of doubt in the back of her head to the point where Anna actually tried to save one of the family members, which, I mean, that was destined to fail from the start. Um, how that woman survived with a fucking 12 inch hole in her chest from a shotgun blast is beyond me. But, you know, that's that's a suspension of disbelief. So I'll allow it. But like I said, the first half of this film just straight up is Lucy's movie, Lucy taking revenge on this family and then Lucy dealing with her own psychosis um, to the point where it's almost cathartic to watch Lucy shoot these four people. Like I said, it's so early in the movie, you're not 100% sure what's going on, but you could still see the sense of catharsis there. Like, this, is some, this isn't something that she wanted to do. This is something that she needed to do. Like, with all of her strength, she needed to do this. So, um, you know, I'll absolutely give the filmmakers credit for that. But then, as Nikki said, the movie takes a turn. Unfortunately, Lucy succumbs to her trauma, ends up taking her own life, blah, blah, blah. Um, obviously, we're getting spoiler here, folks. I'm not holding back on spoilers. So if you haven't seen Martyrs, get the fuck out of here now and go watch it. But and everybody else, stick around. But yeah, once Anna finds that. Um, that hatch that goes down to the basement to the medical lab, it just becomes a whole nother movie because now we're getting the explanation of what happened to Lucy, you know, for however long, because, you know, obviously Lucy never made it to the final treatment, which I'm sure we'll all talk about here in a little bit, but obviously Anna did. And we see Anna in all her glory after that final treatment you know, and then we get our crazy, ambiguous ending, which I'm sure once again, we'll talk about that. I I have at least three or four different interpretations of what Anna told um, Mademoiselle. But again, like I said, we'll get into that. But like I said, the themes of survivor's guilt are just prevalent throughout the first half of this film. Um, obviously, trauma, abuse, how people deal with their pain. I mean, I, I actually read an interview with uh, Pascal Logier and he talks the main this movie is about pain he flat out says this movie is about pain and how people what people do with that pain and you know obviously in the film Mademoiselle gives her explanation of what they think a martyr is and how someone becomes a martyr and everything else which I don't know obviously it's it's pretty twisted for this society cult whatever you want to go with to to be that curious about what happens after death that they're willing to torture all these young women but 
it's more about the repercussions of everything that happens. And especially with the final scene and what Mademoiselle does, um, it, it's so powerful. It's so striking. I, I, but with, by just thinking right now off the top of my, off the top of my head, I'm going to say this is the most profound ending in horror history. I can't think of one ending that is both powerful and soul crushing like this film. Um, which, you know, people always talk about the brutality of this film. And yes, it is brutal. I will say, though, on this watch, for some reason, I didn't find it nearly as brutal as I used to. And obviously, you know, since the first time I've seen this, I've seen stuff like High Tension and um, what do you call it? Um, inside, you know, legitimately gory, painful fucking French extremity movies. This one... This one's actually probably one of the friendlier um, as far as the visuals go, mind you. Now, obviously, psychologically and what this woman's pain or what both of these women's pain does to the viewer. Nikki already talked about that. I was on the verge of tears myself the first time I watched it because I watched it with my wife, who, by the way, looks a little bit like Anna. So that kind of fucked me up to watch this woman oh, that boy. looks like my wife go through this shit. So, um Ultimately, we can't say enough good things about this movie. One of the most, like I said, just detrimental, soul-crushing. I mean, this movie isn't even a movie. This is an experience. You don't, you don't watch Martyrs. You fucking, you, you're in, you're engulfed by it. it. It forces you to look. It's like, it's, it's like when you want to. <laughs> you know, it's like that train wreck that we can't look away from or that car accident that we have to slow down and look at. This movie demands that you watch it and pay attention to it and give it your full attention. And like I said, I stand by my statement, probably the most profound ending in horror history. I'll stop now because I could go on for another two hours. Yeah, uh, for sure. I'll go next, Michael. Bimming. Anyways, uh, first time I ever seen Martyrs, because I didn't actually see it when it first came out. I heard of it. it. Took me a while to actually find a way to watch it. That was before the days of Tubi and all those other ways we get to watch movies now. But uh, yeah, when I first watched it, I was like, where, where is this movie going? Because then, you know, like Nikki said, like, yeah, it's turning it looks like a French version of Grown Pains at the breakfast table. And all of a sudden, oh, there's a knock on the door. Special guest, kaboom. But, uh, yeah, this is not an easy movie to watch, not whatsoever. Uh, so, like, like, that whole ending, like, wow. Like, like even on the rewatch, I'm like, Damn, and there's this fucking puncher in the face. I'm like, I felt that. Ow. But uh, the whole ending, like, yeah, that, when I saw that ending for the first time, it blew my fucking mind. I'm like, what? They pulled a John Carpenter on us? <laughs> you know, like, what the fuck? And then, man, uh, yeah, I, I Patrick Lussier is a director. I actually like a lot of his movies. Uh, this, uh, uh, what's the other one? Incident on a Ghostland. Oh, so great. Yeah, uh, uh, even like his first movie, he did House of Voices, which 
no one really talks about it. It's kind of more like a gothic horror movie and very Fulgious in a way with that one. And then, like, you know, even did a movie with Jessica Biel, which kind of blew my mind. I'm like, I didn't know he did that tall man movie. Yeah. yeah. Pretty damn yeah. good, too. Yeah. That was good. That kind of, like, all his movies have weird what the fuck twist that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a less violent Lars von Trier. And, uh, like a better twist maker than M. Night Shyamalan. Damn right. Damn right. Yeah. But Mata's, yeah. Not an everyday watch for sure. I had to watch like Shockwaves after this to calm down. <laughs> I See, I'm, I'm kind of a weirdo. I could watch this movie all the time. But it's not because I like watching torture and debauchery. It's because it's such a well-made film. I mean... I say the same thing about a Serbian film. Everybody talks about its debauchery and all its terrible shit, but it's a legitimately well-made film. And, and that's the thing that a lot of people miss sometimes. They can't get past the gore and the brutality. So they're missing a wonderful message, you know, given to us uh, from these movies. But yeah, what are you going to do? I definitely can watch Martyrs. I'm a little twisted. So, you know, what are you going to do? I just watched Terrifier 2 for like the 30th time right before we recorded. So, yeah, I could watch Martyrs a lot. And like I said, it's psychologically, it's torturous. But ultimately, it's one of the friendlier French extremity movies out there. Like Inside, I don't know I'm ever going to watch Inside again. As much as I love that fucking film, it's hard to watch. I like. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting here talking about how hard Martyrs is to watch, which is 100% true. But for me, I could watch Martyrs 100 times before I watch Inside again. <laughs> oh, high tension, too. I, I love high. I can watch high tension like 400 times. Yup. Yup. Same here. <laughs> All right, Mike. All right. So, yeah, this is only my second time seeing it. The it, to be honest, I want to say the first time I saw it, I didn't know much going in. It was it was probably just the the new French extremity genre was kind of like uh, busting onto the scene, and I, I probably just kind of swooped it up among everything else. It kind of worked with all. I think maybe High Tension was the only one that I had some previous knowledge going in, like not not necessarily what to expect, but I had heard people talking about it. And once I saw it, it was like, okay, let me see everything that's coming out now from France. Mike, Mike, before you go on, like the thing that I remember about this movie is like, like I didn't know nothing about it. All I saw was like the cover art, which has just two the two girls in the movie, and it's like, what is this? Like a French floating heads movie? <laughs> um. So yeah, to, to echo what everyone said so far, I mean, there is some brutality in this. The themes it. I, I guess, uh, like, oh, so on the first watch, it was, like, absolutely one of my favorite movies um, that I had seen in that entire era. Um, probably good enough to say maybe even one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, second watch, not much changed on that front, but I will say, like, I things I noticed is, like, it, it paced really fast. Like, I, I didn't remember. Um, and like I said, this is my second watch, so we're talking, what, like, a damn near decade in between watches because I always wanted to watch it again. I, after the first watch, I always figured it'd be something that, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be like an annual watch because it is rough to get through, but I figured I'd probably, you know, watch it periodically, but I just never did partially because the ending to me was so impactful. 
that I was like, man, will I ever get that same impact from going through it a second time? So I would always like kind of talk myself out of it or I just have other stuff I need to watch and years and years and years went by. I knew it would eventually happen. I figured if if no one else picked it, I would eventually pick it just to force myself to see it again. So Nikki, thanks for picking it. Um, but yeah, I had forgotten a lot of stuff that led up to the third act because I think the third act is pretty unforgettable. But even like the stuff that's taken place before, like uh, with the girl who escaped um, and the the trauma that she brings. Obviously, uh, the other girl kind of only maybe half believes if she believes at all what happened, but she's trying to work out things when they get to the house and, and holy shit, like just unrelentlessly <laughs> taking out the family. But you can see there's conflict in her because she doesn't entirely feel great about what she's doing, but it's more of like a, this must be done. And then like what, you know, obviously she's screaming at the bodies like, why did you do that to me? So the whole movie, you're trying to kind of piece together as best you can. Like, well, what exactly happened? Obviously, because we get the flashbacks, there's abuse happening. But I think it almost wants you to believe first. It's just like a standard case of like kidnapping and torturing, right? You don't think there's much more to it necessarily. Um, and then when the pieces of the puzzle start coming back and you and we get more into like the actual cult aspect of what's going on and the motivations behind to me that's where the movie really takes that next level it's not just torture for torture's sake there's a reason they're doing it right because there's plenty of movies out there that's just like oh some person likes to torture people and that's the extent of it and there's not zero merit in those type of movies either necessarily but those are a specific type this movie there's a method behind the madness and i'm not justifying the method obviously but there is more to it than just oh we want to abuse to get our rocks off like there is a, an end goal in mind and once you start to figure it out it's just like holy shit like this this is like great writing and great story and i feel like even the second time around i, I was pulled in um yes the abuse is very hard to take i would say even the like, i think venom mentioned it or maybe everybody did the the abuse leading up to the third act is almost like worse like the preparation for what happens because my my memory actually betrayed me because i actually thought when when they go to her and say oh it's almost done you're ready for uh what do they call it the final uh, the, the, the final stage, the final stage the final stage final countdown <laughs> i, I had actually oh god the treatment <laughs> I had actually thought that there the was more to that final stage stuff than than actually there was. By the time we get to the final stage, we're pretty much damn near at the end of the movie. My my memory, maybe because of what we actually see at the very end with her, what's left of her, that imprinted in me so much that I thought there was much more into it. But, I mean, you still know exactly what happened without them having to show every step of it. But to me the ending is really what puts it over the top and not just the fact of what the cult leader does to herself, but what she says and what she says to me is what sparks the conversation, what sparks kind of the open ended nature of people debating about what exactly is it that, uh, 
the girl told her that she saw. I have my theories. I'm sure we'll get into like what we mm-hmm. think the explanation was behind it. But I think the movie did a good job, at least good enough to say not 100% either way. Um, but yeah, amazing movie. I I, I want to say this is one of the rare movies that on a second watch, it was almost more impactful be, knowing the end game because now I'm almost paying closer attention. Like, I feel like every little piece of abuse, every little piece of torture, every little piece of trauma, because you know the end game's coming, it you almost are feeling even more for the characters because it's like it, every every step of the way you're like it ain't over for them. Like this isn't going to be a case where in the next scene or the next act they're going to get out of this. Like there's only one direction this is headed. And yeah, that ending is just so impactful, and I'm I'm very happy to say that it still had that impact on me because I was very worried that like oh maybe I I just remember the ending being like more more uh, a, a gut punch than it actually is going to be on the second watch, but no, it was still there, and I still um I I it still kind of sparked the same uh, craving to like talk about it. So yeah, Martyrs, excellent. Two thousand. Uh, if you haven't seen it, make sure you like, get what the two thousand eight version, not the American remake. Oh. I haven't even seen the American remake. <laughs> it's but, fucking PG thirteen. Yeah, yeah. They changed the best part of the the fucking end of the movie. It's so bad. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. Um, I don't know if we still want to talk about it before we talk about the ending, but I'm uh, open uh, for whatever. By, so, by the way, I love French Zelda Rubenstein, the cult leader. <laughs> oh, that was yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually something I forgot to say. If they actually made a good American remake, I would Zelda Rubenstein to that, play that part. Yep. <laughs> that scene, that scene when she sits her down in the chair and kind of like, if it's like she doesn't fully explain what's going on but she gives enough to put that scare in you even as a viewer like this this lady ain't fucking around she has a plan she's not here just to like do this for the hell of it and then you know as she's talking about martyrdom and what it means and you're like holy shit what the fuck are they gonna do to this girl and what is the purpose and when it all comes together in the end it's just like damn and it almost (laughs) it almost sends that chill down your spine that like there are probably people powerful, rich and connected enough that wouldn't think twice about doing the same thing that don't value. That's the other thing in this movie to this cult, like, yes, they praise the idea of martyrdom and turning someone into a martyr, but anyone that's like caught in the, in the, um, in their way or, things that don't go right for people, they fucking discard it. Like the, 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 the non care for just life and people in general, the, the scene where they're like throwing all the dead bodies in. Um, I don't know if that was like an unfilled pool or they just a mass grave, but the no, way they were nonchalantly work. tossing people. Mem- uh, remember early in the film, um, the blonde lady was doing work down there in the pipes. That's why oh, it was. Uh, all dug up. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't know. There's so much to this movie. I, I just mm-hmm. it, it's it's as great as I thought it was on the first watch. Oh, and I can I can definitely vouch, Mike. I've seen this movie. I don't know, like maybe twenty twenty five times. 
it's impactful every fucking time. Every time I watch it, I sit quietly in my living room for like five minutes, just kind of digesting again what I just watched. Uh, I, I was just having flashbacks of when we reviewed the treatment. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> you know, oh. when, when I selected both of these films, I had only, I too had only seen Martyrs one time, so I, I totally did not remember the part in Martyrs where the, where Lucy had left the other victim behind. And that's such a cool connection to House because the exact same thing happens in that film. And that's, yeah, that's what I thought the connected tissue yeah. between these two movies was. I, I guessed Survivor's Guilt, but I guess no. Uh, no, I, lo- I love that that connects the two films. For yeah. me, going when I first picked them, because I didn't remember that had happened in Martyrs, that's why I chose Revenge, a revenge theme. And, yeah, Martyrs does not 100% revolve around revenge, but it was revenge that caused everything to unfold as it did, because... She she thought she had to resort to revenge in order to let go of all of that pain that she was holding on, to let go of that survivor's guilt, to let go of that trauma. And that's why things unraveled the way that they did. And it's yeah. it's it's heartbreaking, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a, a almost it's almost a character study on how two different people deal with their pain. Lucy obviously let it, it, she let it control her. She let it dictate her actions. And in the end, once the family was dead, she didn't know what to do with herself, which, you know, it makes sense that she, you know, unfortunately took her own life. Mm I, well, man, this is a, this is a heavy ass movie, (laughs) man, man, I want to Man, I want the thumbnail for this episode. Is like we just have the image of Anna at the end, where we Photoshop George Wynn's face on it. <laughs> because Anna is the George. That image, they won't know what Anna, to laugh or freak out. Anna is the George Wynn to this movie. <laughs> you know the so the first my first viewing of this, I was shocked and I was sad. This viewing, I was just pissed off and mad. <laughs> Well, I was watching it the second time. Yeah. This time I felt more anger. (laughs) I mean, usually I I get really pissy at movies that have religious zealots as the villains, as the overall villains. But with this society, you could make the argument that they're not necessarily religious. Like they may not necessarily believe in God and everything else, but they're just trying to prove that an afterlife exists, which by nature of proving an afterlife exists, exist then you kind of have to start to believe in god and satan and everything else so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like they're more open to possibilities and that's what they're yes. trying to get to the bottom to because if they were already true believers then there would be less of a motivation to do this because if you already fundamentally believe i mean i guess you could make the case that like not only do we believe but we want to see but really to me it's 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 that they don't fundamentally believe anything necessarily concerning the afterlife and they're trying to figure it out and if they can get concrete proof then that's like something that you know they would relish in yeah i, I actually ironically enough I, I mentioned i'd finished the book stephen king's revival mm-hmm. and the, the main antagonist of that book kind of deals with the same themes and well spoiler alert for the book arrival he's trying to find out if there's an afterlife 
afterlife, if you know what I mean. I'm not going to give you the reason why he wants to know that, mm-hmm. but that's pretty much like kind of the same themes. And it's thinking like maybe Stephen King maybe borrowed some of the ideas for that book from this movie. Yeah, and the fact that they, this group of people, that they felt in order to learn what was on the other side, to learn what happens after, you know, we pass on, that you must subject someone to that high level of suffering to be able to see it, that raises a lot of different questions, too. Mm-hmm. Especially because it kind of, like, I always grew up martyrs, like the definition of martyrs in this movie is not what I kind of grew up believing. Like to me, a martyr was someone who was killed for a certain cause. And then after their death, they become a symbol for that cause. Kind of like Jesus, yeah. Jesus died for our sins, blah, blah, blah. He became a cross. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so that's what I always Sorry. Think of martyrs. Uh, this definition of martyrs, I, I'm still way down for it's. It's obviously new to me as it's not my interpretation of martyrs because I mean, to, to torture someone to within an inch of their life so that they can see the afterlife and then come back and, you know, kind of report on it. That just doesn't feel like martyrdom to me. That that no. feels like just straight torture. <laughs> like yeah. what's that? in I, the I eyes of what they believe. They. It is, though, because they're doing it for their cause. Yeah, they right, forced but the thing them. is, is that after It's definitely women, forced martyrdom. Yes, it's forced. But they're not really... See, they're not really... Like, these women aren't symbols. They don't become... Because they even said that they did it two times successfully before, that Anna is now the third person to successfully... Um, you know, uh, I forget the word. Trans, whatever. Um, so, it's like a martyr is celebrated. It's usually someone who long after their death is celebrated and, and talked about and reminisced about in this movie. Once the women are dead, not that we find out what happens to Anna, but we also notice that the other two that they claim to be successful, we don't see them anywhere. So they're probably in that mass grave as well. So I wasn't sure when uh they said she was the third one, uh, the way I took it was, Anna is the first one and feel free to correct me because this goes, this would probably come down to if I missed any specific dialogue or not. But the way I took it, when they said she's the third one, I think she, what she meant or the cult leader or whoever said it was, she's the third one to reach the stage. Cause you, you know how they, when she's first explained, she's like, Oh, look at their eyes. They, they're obviously looking, they're on the brink of like right. death and their eyes are like, staring out and looking at something they're basically seeing something that the rest of us can't see i think what they're saying is she's the third one to reach that stage but she managed to stay alive during it that she's the first one that actually said something like yeah yeah she stayed alive so the other two might have reached they might have gone through that stage but they didn't say anything they weren't real feeling real talkative when they came back yeah and and the Mm -hmm. whole in the and on the question of martyrdom yeah I I agree. It's definitely forced martyrdom in this case, but like a good example I would give like a real life example of almost like false, like trying to create a narrative around martyrdom is like, you could say like uh, when Pat Tillman died, right? The, the football player turned soldier, 
the military basically tried to lie and make up a story of martyrdom for him when it turns out he was killed by friendly fire and uh it it sounds like it sounds like either it was an accident or his own guys took him out on purpose we're, we'll probably never know the truth he never about shuts that. Fuck up. But but the <laughs> military story was definitely not. They tried to make it seem like he oh he died out in combat, keeping us safe, and that was I mean that's verified 100 percent false. Like that's not a conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theory is like well if it was friendly fire was it an accident or not? That's where the conspiracy comes in. But so I think this and it, how I related to this is like yes. It was definitely forced martyrdom, but when you, but when you get to the scene when you know, oh, she's going to speak to our cult leader, and obviously they start inviting in all the uh, the extended members, like the other rich and wealthy kinds of people. The way they speak about Anna in that instance, you could see like the, even though they forced all this on her, they if if she is actually revealing like something, they still view her as like the most important person in the world, like, Oh, she, she's great because she's going to transcend and tell us. So yes, they forced it, but they do have like that view of her at, like they do view her as a martyr. Yeah. Genuinely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And plus, plus it makes me think like it's just a, their belief system because they have this whole book full of images of people that supposedly are, have been their version of modernism in the past, you know? So it's like, yeah, they do keep these images as idols of the remembrance of these fucking people, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like it's their belief system that there is – it's their version of martyrdom pretty much, but it's forced. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, most yeah, martyrdom is forced. Did, I mean, the cult, the cult you, you have to be said, killed to be a martyr. She yeah, Pontius Pilate. Pretty sure yeah. it's forced. <laughs> and she said, like, her their methods are specifically more effective on young women, right? She, she yeah. made that. Mm-hmm. So. And That's obviously a young woman, that can't, that woman can't commit to it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's why yeah. I was a little surprised not, that not that commit. woman I meant, was still I meant, alive. I meant she can't consent. And obviously she can't commit. But Spoiler, it's right. the court of vowels the whole time. Stop. Yeah, it's like the that, scene, that scene you were talking about, Mike, where they, like, after she endured, like, all of that physical violence from having been, you know, beat and then, like, you see like that moment where she, the lady who had been beaten her, she grabs her under the chin and she's like, we're one more stage left. But that was like the most, like, it's very like sinister and sadistic. It's, it's sinister, but it, but the, well, I, I think what even makes it more sinister is it's, it's very procedural, right? Like, yes. like unlike other movies with torture, and I think I brought this up earlier, unlike other movies that feature a lot of like rough torture and stuff, as this movie unfolds, it, you start to realize like, they're not doing this for fun. Now that doesn't make it any more good, obviously, but like they're in their eyes, there is a purpose to this. Like the way when, um, when she grabs her and she's like, she kind of almost, says it in like a nurturing way oh it's almost over like and and she's almost like i would almost like she's gaslighting her to say oh you're you're so important you're great because you made it this far and you're almost done and don't worry it'll be over there's like that endearing nurturing aspect of that even though it's fucking sadistic and sick what they're doing right mm-hmm. but you get like the little touches 
that almost in a in a roundabout way makes it even more sinister the fact that like lady you're not fucking being uh touching here like you're still fucking torturing this girl right. just because you want to act nice about it so it almost doubles down on a sinister nature because in their eyes it's for a good cause mm-hmm. oh man so what do you say let's get at it the ending <laughs> man there's a lot of prevalent theories online like i actually did some research and, and looked um uh, a bunch of different theories. There's six. Uh, I, I, f- I found a lot more than six, but there's six that are prevailing. Um, do you guys want to talk about shit. your interpretations six? first? Yeah, yeah. Six sure. different interpretations. Uh, <laughs> do you guys want to talk about what you, what your thoughts are first, or you want me to go over this list? I'll, I'll say mine really quick. I'll try to. Go. I'll, I'll keep it quick. To me, my logic says the only reason she would kill herself at the end is because Anna revealed, I didn't see shit and it hits the cult leader, like a ton of bricks that Holy shit. I've been, we've been doing all this for nothing. And basically all of our torture of kids and, you know, spans over a long time. We didn't see nothing. And when she says, keep, what did she say? Keep doubting. I think keep and doubting. that blows her brains out. Cause to me, if, if Anna revealed something and it's a, joyous day for them i don't see why she would kill herself like that so that's just my kind of initial thoughts but let's hear what everyone else has to say i my initial thought the first couple of times i saw it was that she did speak to god and that basically you know god confirmed that there's an afterlife but then let her let anna know that mademoiselle would not be a part of it Almost like, yes, there's a heaven, but you ain't getting in, bitch. Uh, And then she but obviously then her suicide kind of makes that fall apart, because if you already know you're going to hell, why would you kind of speed up the process? (laughs) You know, Um, the the Anna saw nothing theory is the most prevalent one. That is the number one on this list. It's the most prevalent. It's the one that most people uh, believe. It also makes the most sense for um, Mademoiselle, you know, killing herself after she gets that information. It is weird that she didn't share that information with the rest of the the society, cult, whatever. Um, But then again, if Anna saw nothing and told this to Mademoiselle, Mademoiselle maybe wouldn't want to let that information get out. Yeah, that's probably that's probably why she said keep doubting. It's that doubt that that doubt of what happens after we die that kind of keeps us going i mean christianity is an entire religion based on be good on this plane because you'll if you are you'll get into the next plane of existence yeah plus if plus if she if she said like assuming that anna said she saw nothing and wazelle went out in front of everyone and said that imagine like she almost becomes like the evil martyr in a way, in a way, because I mean, yeah, she spent what, 17 years torturing innocent people. Yeah. yeah, And and I'm, and I'm sure it would have to be implied, but I'm, I'm assuming Wazelle had a big part in like getting everyone to join this cult in the first place. Right. So then you have a, there's probably even more people a part of this cult that weren't even in the house. So you're almost going to be remembered as this lady that tricked us all into torturing these people to find out about something that's not there. Oh man. Yeah, definitely. Anybody else want to talk about their theories before I move on? I, I, I was going to say, I, I always thought 
either the first way, like either it was nothing that she saw or it was something too horrific that they want to share either or like, you know, per se, it's not the typical God that you would think of that they saw like something maybe more old elder God kind of things. You know, you never know. Yeah. You know, bring that up. Mm -hmm. Yes. Same thing that kind of spoiler for Stephen King's revival. It actually goes there. You know, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty, you know, like, yeah, I could see it playing both those ways and that ending the way that ended happening that way, mm-hmm. you know, Nikki. Yeah. So for me, it was completely karma related. I'm a big believer in karma. I believe what we put out, we get back. So for me, my interpretation of it was, Anna was telling her that, yes, there is an afterlife. Yes, there is something on the other side. But the way that you're going about it is wrong. And you're going to get your karma back for what you have been doing to all these people. And I think that she took her own life as an easy way out because she didn't want to have to pay the back the karma in this lifetime. She wanted to completely forget about it and like come in in a new life with a completely different slate, not like still having to pay back the karma, obviously, but just not in this lifetime. That's how I took it. That's valid. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's go over the list here that I compiled. Uh, Like I said, I got six on here. Uh, The first one, as I already mentioned, Anna saw nothing. Um, Obviously the revelation of there's nothing after death, you know, fucked up Mademoiselle enough that she took her own life because she wasted 17 years torturing innocent young women uh, for nothing. Uh, The second one is Anna saw heaven. And that was the one that I was talking about, that Anna actually saw heaven, spoke to God or Jesus, whoever you want to go with. And, you know, basically let Mademoiselle know, yeah, there is an afterlife, but you're never going to see it uh, because of what you've done, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Another theory is Anna saw hell, that um, Mademoiselle kills herself knowing she is damned and can't face her followers to tell them that, yes, there is a hell and we're probably all going there. So she probably killed herself to not have to give that news, maybe not necessarily because of the psychological aspect or whatever, but blah, blah, blah. All right. This next one, this is where it gets cosmic. This is where it gets a little bit Lovecraftian. Anna sees the incomprehensible. Um, this one, basically, Anna tells the madam that what she saw either cannot be understood by mortals or that she herself can't understand what she saw and that attempts to try to understand what happens after uh, death is absolutely futile, that no mortal person will ever find out until they are legitimately gone, blah, blah, blah. So um, this is the one where it gets kind of Lovecraftian, you know, where she basically says that she can't explain what she saw and that humans will never understand it. They have to be in that next plane of existence to understand what the afterlife is. So, you know, that one's kind of a weird one, but what are you going to go with? Okay. The next one is that Anna saw reincarnation, that somehow 
the light leads her leads souls to then be reincarnated so that when they pass through the light, rather than their soul going to an afterlife in heaven, it's almost like it's recycled. You know, they're they're uh, they're reincarnated as a new person, creature, whatever the case may be. Um, this one kind of falls apart because what she tells Etienne at the end of the film doesn't really support that. Um because, you know, uh, after Anna comes back, um, Etienne does ask the madam, was she clear? Was she concise? And the madam does yet say yes, you know, that she understood everything that she said. So the whole Lovecraftian thing might be a little bit, you know, over the top. And then the last pre uh, prevailing theory that I found online is that Anna just refused to tell her. That Anna did actually see the afterlife, did speak to God, actually has information that could be relayed, but then, but that she just told Mademoiselle, fuck you. For what you did to me, I'm never going to give you the information that I now know. Um, ultimately, again, the words that she says to Etienne about her being clear and concise kind of goes against this theory, I, though I do like this one. Because it is the perfect revenge when you think about it. Like they tortured this girl for however long it took to get her to become a martyr. And then she does. And then she just basically flips them off and says, fuck you. I'm not going to tell you. So there you go, folks. There's your six prevailing theories as to what Anna told Mademoiselle at the end of the movie. Some are more you know, believable than others, obviously. And like I said, the prevailing theory is that Anna saw nothing. And, you know. I kind of agree with that because that is a pretty that would be a pretty heavy toll on Mademoiselle, you know, that she wasted all this time, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, know. that's that's it's hard for me to, uh, I guess, unpack anything positive that you saw with Lizelle's suicide, because it, it's like, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, cause like, unless it was God saying, oh yeah, and Wazelle will be forgiven too. Like, what would make Wazelle like wanna say, like, keep, I don't know. It, to me, it squares away as like, there was something had to be resting so heavy on Wazelle in that moment that she decided to kill herself. Yeah. Because yeah. Even, even if Anna, even if Anna didn't necessarily give the answer they wanted, at least, some type of information she would want to share with the cult because that's what everyone's there waiting for. So to me, something had to be uh, weighing so heavy on her that it caused like shame or guilt or, you know, scared of having to tell people what she just heard that she's like, and, and just, also, and also if she blows her brains out, which she does, uh, it almost, gives the cult license to keep doing it right because like yep. they didn't get a concise answer but if they still believe in the mission it's almost like was saying like i know the truth but i'm not going to say it because now you guys my legacy will still be that like i'm was the great creator of this cult she'll be like at this point she's probably still going to be remembered because if they still all believe in the mission after that suicide um, they can make up their own theory why she killed herself, and they can live on to do it yep. more, as opposed to 
Like she not only has she just shattered her own life, but if she goes out there and says she saw nothing, it's all been for nothing. <laughs> she's basically destroyed everybody in the process, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think she would have accepted that as an answer. I think she just they would have just moved on to the next victim until they got the answer that they were happy with the answer that they wanted. Yeah. And ultimately, that's why these societies and cults never work out. They're just they're just going to continue to torture these people until they get the answer they want. It's not that they're looking for the truth. They want some kind of comfort. They want to know that, yes, there is life after death. There is more after we die. Um, I mean, I if you live through, you know, with that tenant, then, you know, God bless you, I guess. But, you know. To actually sit around and constantly be thinking about what happens after we die. Like, what kind of life is that? Like, think about everything that they did over the last 17 years, and none of them have been able to actually enjoy their life. Because they've been torturing people and, you know, skinning them and doing whatever else. And so... Oh my gosh, I... I love that interpretation because that's what they were doing. They were so focused on what would happen at the end of their life rather than staying in the present moment right now and enjoying Mm -hmm. it. Exactly. Yeah. The best people don't worry about what happens after death. I mean, if, if the threat of going to hell is the only thing making you a good person, are you really a good person? No. You know, so I'm I'm gonna leave it at that. I like that. <laughs> oh, oh, was a good person in that movie. Oh, oh man, fuck. By the way, I gotta say, Lucy had gorgeous eyes. Yeah, she <laughs> I could I couldn't stop staring at her eyes the whole movie. <laughs> I'm I'm like this chick definitely listens to Evanescence. Oh no! <laughs> it doesn't it, do, it doesn't help that that's about all that was left of Lucy by the end. <laughs> Oh, and oh, then the, and then the fucking cherry on top of your fuck you Sunday, Anna's still fucking alive at the end of the movie. Oh fuck, you. that's probably what got me the most. The fact that she's still there in pain, just you know, I mean, is the cult gonna put her out of her misery, or are they gonna keep her alive in the hopes that she sees something later? That's that's the most heartbreaking to me is that they're not even going to let her die after all of this. That's fucked up. Yeah. And the oh. one the one thing I, I missed when I was talking about how it's all procedural and they, they're doing it for, you know, their motivation. It's what fucked me up both times is the fact that they feel justified in doing it because. <laughs> It's so messed up, but they just feel like our our, our mission and purpose to the empire supersedes all, any cultural societal <laughs> norms that we're just going to do this because we want to figure it out. Like, and and I think that that speaks a greater thing to like just you know the actual real world, not just in the movies. The fucked up things people do that they're that they feel justified in doing because they think they're righteous or have the correct mission or something, and and it they'll justify the inhumanity and that's kind of what i got out of this too what what answer do you think they were looking for i think that there is an afterlife i think they wanted clear and uh, as they say clear and concise confirmation that there is an afterlife you know um whether it be good or bad it's just i i you know because that's the eternal struggle of like I said, Christians and anybody who has religion in their life is what comes next. 
And it's like, stop concentrating on what comes next and concentrate on what's happening right now, you dumb and fuck. I, and <laughs> I think Wazelle, you know, her and her true believers, probably initially before they grew, you know, when she's when she's going over kind of her manifesto and talking about um, the... She's talking about how, like, they seem very convinced that all those people in the state of near death, just about death, are actually... They, she's talking about how all their eyes kind of match. Oh, they're all like looking at something there that no one else can see. So I think they've convinced themselves so hard yep. that they're seeing something like almost on the, uh, that everyone on the verge of death, if you're in the situation like of some type of torture or extreme pain that you get this like drift in your eyes that you, you're seeing another plane or something, and they wanted to know what that something was because it would indicate some clue of the afterlife. Like I don't, I don't think like Venom alluded to earlier. I don't think it's a specific religion they prescribe to. It's just questions and that they want answered. Whatever the answer is, they want. And uh, mm-hmm. I think she got the wrong answer at the end. Of the <laughs> Isn't that kind of a common theme with cults, though? Like, cults always think they're doing the right thing or that they're helping society or whatever the case may be. No matter what fucked up thing they're doing or trying to do, they always, like, the cults always see themselves as the good guys. It's crazy to think about when you're looking at the story from the other side, but... It ain't just cults. I mean, like, it's Mm -hmm. cults, it's leaders of countries, militaries, like... I mean, how many, you know, you go to war with a country... And yeah, there's the aspect of two armies fighting each other, but how many bombs are dropped from planes in the sky that end up killing all sorts of innocent people, mm-hmm. whether directly or indirectly? It still hap- how do you how do you make amends for something like that? <laughs> like you can't you can't really. But in your eyes, it's like the the term collateral damage, right? Well, obviously we didn't want to do it, but what are you going to do? We're at war, and our mission is righteous to go do whatever. Like obviously so many different wars with so many different missions. But if you feel your mission is righteous, you feel justified in doing whatever it takes. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And then um, a couple of other things that I found out in my research is that the filming of this movie was just as torturous as what we see on film. Um, Both of our main stars have publicly stated they will never work with Lagier again. Uh, They said that he was just that he was off the set. He was a beautiful man, nice guy, loved and cared about everybody. But on the set, he was was, uh, in freaking um, worse. I mean, John Millis. (laughs) Okay, not now you're talking. But yeah, like this guy, you know, would just torture these women um, emotionally and mentally. You know, kind of like how Kubrick did to uh, Wendy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think so, he had a, like an issue with like his like an incident in the ghost land with one of the girl actresses in that yeah, movie too. I believe it. Yeah, that I remember reading about something torturous. like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, our our main star, the girl who played Anna, uh, Morana Aloui, uh, she actually broke three bones filming this goddamn movie. Yeah, because they uh, were really punching wow. her face. <laughs> yep. Uh, she broke a uh, she broke a rib. Uh, her orbital. And I forget what the third bone was. It was in a YouTube video that I saw. But yeah, uh, she broke three bones during the filming of this. Fucking ridiculous. Um, 
Let's see, what else do we have here? Uh, it's funny how the third build star in this movie actually doesn't show up until over an hour into the film. Mademoiselle, of course, is third build on the poster, but you know, she doesn't show up for over an hour. And unfortunately, this movie is not available on Blu-ray in the U.S. Uh, that Those were discontinued. Uh, you can still find them in the used market, but they're like upwards of 50, 60 bucks a pop, so... Yeah, good luck finding yourself an affordable copy of this movie. Uh, I actually bought it on VOD. Uh, it only cost me 15 bucks, and it's a pretty nice uh, copy, so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, this movie, man, uh, on screen and off, this was an experiment in torture. And um, the final product, I, I think, as sad as it is, it is to say, all the shit and everything that these people had to go through gave us just one of the most compelling horror movies of this century. So yeah, kudos uh, to the filmmakers here as much as they tortured their actors, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Modders and Mulholland drive. Never doing that to myself again. Yeah. Martyrs is one of my favorite movies that I, that's hard for me even to recommend unless I really know the person. Cause I'm like, do I want this friendship to continue? Uh, I better not. <laughs> I, it's even a hard movie to fucking like, so this happens in this movie, then this guy gets blown away after he was eating a sausage. Well, because even like <laughs> even even if the person saw something like high tension, yes, high tension's like brutal, but it's in the more traditional sense of like you know, it's a slasher. Yeah, yeah, it's a slasher that gets brutal, and even if even if the brutality has is too much for someone, I don't think it's the type of movie that they that they'll stop being a friend over they might just say yeah it's a little too brutal for me martyrs on the other hand it's not just the brutality but it's the story that just enhances it and i think people would look at me different if it was the wrong person i recommended it to they might not look at me the same anymore Honestly, <laughs> the most fucked up thing in fucking high tension is just the whole beginning scene where it's like that guy getting a blowjob for the yeah. second <laughs> holy shit yeah that's, that's and to think that that's nice. what that's her Mo doing the motions so it, i'm sorry if i gave it away but i don't care it's a fucking 20 year old movie that i love but yeah when you think about the ending the context of that scene changes dramatically <laughs> yeah especially when you look at the, the dude's fingernails I'm like wait a minute yeah exactly <laughs> there, there's a lot about the movie that doesn't make sense i accept it um just because it works for me i love all the set pieces i love the brutality of it um, but like Mike said, it's almost like a friendlier brutality because it's a slasher. We kind of expect that kind of brutality. It's great because the person you think is going to be the final girl is the killer of the whole time. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's so great. I, I remember a lot of people getting pissed off about that when the movie was new because High Tension actually played in theaters out here when it yeah. first came. Yeah, we actually got it here in the States. And, man, I loved it right away. But I, I remember, like, the people that I kind of associated with at the time weren't as high on it as I was. Oh, I loved it, especially the yeah. fucking gore effects. Fucking Amazing. awesome. And then if you really hate someone and never want to talk to them again, you can recommend a Serbian film. So there you go. Yeah, Serbian film, Mulholland <laughs> Drive, Lost Highway, and this movie. Inside. Yeah, I forgot about Inside. Yeah. Because, um, like I said, I'm not watching Inside ever again. Trouble every I day. Adam Chaplin. <laughs> Solo. Uh, 
Irreversible Fallow. is a harsh one to recommend to someone too. Yeah, Irreversible. I oof, I can't recommend that to anybody. Oh, Requiem I, for a Dream is any, a, like a, any, a non-genre one too. Any Gaspar No movie? <laughs> Don't watch. <laughs> Except Climax. New Holland Drive is a is in that category. It, it's it's a very psychological. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I've never I've never seen it. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Lynch can get creepy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Okay, that goddamn witch in Mulholland Drive, man. That scene gets me every time. And it's the fucking nun. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh, Bonnie Aarons, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I met her. I love her. She's awesome. She is. I want to get my 4K signed by her. Oh, I want my pop. My Funko, the nun pop. Hell yeah. <laughs> I want a Funko pop of her character from Mulholland Drive. Oh, the witch? Hell yeah. That'd be cool, too. Yeah. Oh, man, we're almost at four hours here. I was going to say, are we ready to cleanse ourselves and let people know where they're going? Yeah, so I need a shower. Be talking I, about I wow. need a shower. Well, I'm feeling like it was my old 22 shot days. I'm like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's going to wrap up our talk on House, Martyrs, and the episode. But before we get out of here, let's find out what everyone has for people to listen to, where hopefully they're not uh, going through the Martyrs experience again so soon. Um, I'll start with you, Venom. Uh, what you got? Um, obviously I'm on all the No More Room in Hell shows, so you could just uh, subscribe to No More Room in Hell. You'll get all our shows. That's of course this show, the main show. Fresh Cuts, our weekly uh, review of the newest releases in the genre. Creature Comforts, which Derek and myself are on, where we look at creature features, um, both classic and modern. Um, and then the Crystal Lake Gift Shop is our newest venture uh, for No More Room in Hell. That's Mike and myself um, doing an episode-by-episode episode retrospective of the Friday the 13th series from 1987 to 1990. Uh, I think that's it. I'm tired. That's more than enough for me. Are you guys doing the lake on uh, Creature Features? Um, when it gets got, released, maybe. Maybe. Um, if if the timing fits, maybe. Otherwise, we can do it on Fresh Cuts. Okay, yeah, because I was going to say, if you're not, then uh, definitely a Fresh Cuts contender, but I know you like to your features, so... Yeah, we'll see. it's we'll usually a timing thing. Like, with Troll, we literally recorded the episode, like, a couple of weeks after it came out, so it Plus made it was, sense. Because it was super easy to get to, too, because it was on yeah, Netflix. Yeah, Netflix, yeah, it was on Netflix, exactly. The Lake might be a little bit more of a chore, but... I've already I'm, I'm, though. I'm looking forward to it. I yeah. Foreign creature features always work for me. Almost always. So, yeah, I'm in. All right, Derek, you got anything? Creature Cuffers, we were talking about giant sea slugs coming on people. <laughs> and the next episode, we're going to be talking about Kevin Bacon and penis worms. And Fred Ward. Rest in peace. Fred Ward, yeah. <laughs> All right, Nikki, let us know what you got. And if you want to run down like what you talked about on the latest episode, I know you guys talk about a ton of stuff, but like you don't have to get into everything, but like maybe the main feature or whatever you want to say. Well, yeah. So I just want to again say thank you, Mike, Venom and Derek for letting me choose two movies. And these films are ones that I absolutely adore and it was really cool to hear your thoughts on them. So thank you again. We we covered 1985 House and also 2008 Martyrs. It was a lot of fun to talk about. I also 
am part of the Slumber Party Massacre podcast, and we drop episodes monthly, and we will be covering the Poison Ivan the Poison Ivy series. Oh boy! I was, like, Poison I-, I was like Poison Ivy. Is that her brother? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it should be a good time. I got a bone to pick with the Slumber Party Massacre podcast because you guys stole Rebecca from me. Uh-oh. <laughs> Aw. Yeah, I miss her. I miss her so much. We haven't but recorded yeah. in like two years. And I know it's not just you guys. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I, I, I talk. I used to talk about it all the time. She's one of the busiest women in the community, you know, starring, catering, makeup, hair. I mean, writing, producing, editing. Uh, the woman is a jack of all trades. I, I love her to death. But, yeah, I'll always have that little... You know, that that little thorn in my craw that you guys stole her from me. There's only one thing we gotta do. I, I get it, Venom. She's she's wonderful. Yep. Yeah, I, I miss her when we recorded that Herschel Gordon Lewis show. Ah, that was so fun. It so was fun. And Nikki the Blood the, Trilogy. Oh, the latest good. episode out is the sexy horror movies ones. Is that is that what the newest one is? Sexy horror movies about yes. Milana. <laughs> it's uh we all on the last episode that we did we all chose sexy horror films films that we find sexy and that was a lot of fun cool basic and, instincts and you are on like spotify right i think yes all episodes are on spotify and there's a facebook group the slumber party massacre podcast hell yeah cool. all right well Thanks, Nikki. Um, I know Slumber Party Massacre tends to be like uh, sometimes a few hours, so hopefully this, you know, we didn't hold you too long for this, but it was a lot of fun, uh, and we would love to have you come back someday. So uh, always keep us in mind. Uh, I know we kind of regularly communicate anyway, but uh, this is the first <laughs> time ever that actual return host picked the movies. We, we say that. I know we say that, and then she's oh. the first one that's happened to come back for a second time. Not because no one wanted to, but just timing and all that. It was pretty, pretty good because I'm kind of avoiding Mike's picks for another month now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if Mike picks the movies I think he's picking, we're going to have a really good time. Well, yeah, we'll talk about it later, but yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to that, but... um. Yeah, thanks a lot, Nikki. Always a blast. And uh, come back soon. Thank you so much. This was fun. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to No More Room in Hell, number 51. I mean, if you've listened to 50 recently, you're probably like, holy shit, they already have another episode out. That's not like them lately. But that's what we're going to try to do uh, for uh, the time being is put episodes out a little more frequent like we used to. Um, so thanks for sticking with us and coming back until then we, uh, will catch you next time. Let's say bye to our listeners. Goodbye. Survivor's guilt is a bitch. Bye. Ooh, and Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking either Ann Ramsey or Madden or Zelda Rubens team would please. Bad Moselle in the My Dream American remake version. Zombie Ruben, uh, Zelda. And Zombie Anne Ramsey. Oh, that's true. It's going to end with Stay Doubting. <laughs> <laughs> stay Doubting.